We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Let's try this one more time. I'm Glenn Mack now. Sunday morning. I believe he's Jody Mack. Yes, I am. Okay. So we can... We can hear each other now. Yes. We, we, we apologize to the audience. We've been having uh, technical difficulties this morning. Not exactly sure why, but started as soon as we got the air. Maybe somebody's trying to tell us something, Jody. No, but we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. And we'll try to pick up the conversation. We don't know how much the uh, callers heard, but uh, we certainly want to talk to you. Uh, we hope to talk to you up until 1 o'clock today. 215-592-9494. Hey, if we can't talk on the air, maybe at least the callers can. So we'll, we'll just try that. <laughs> Uh, we got a little bit quickly into each of the four teams, and when I lost you last, you were telling me uh, I had asked you the question to give me the top two, three, four reasons you thought the Eagles lost. Right, and I said there's one above all others. The better team won, and I think the Delaware Valley, a.k.a. Eagle Nation, is having trouble coming to grips with this. Because I noted I picked the Eagles to win by a touchdown. I thought they had the better roster. But sometimes you can see things more clearly in 2020 hindsight. They got the, their you-know-what's kicked in the coaching department. Oh, yeah. And we didn't really know what Sirianni was as far as the Super Bowl. He had never been in the Super Bowl before. We saw two very easy play playoff wins. I'm not even counting last year's uh, butt-kicking down in Tampa Bay. First teams, not, just over 500, just kind of made it into the playoffs. So they got beat up by Tom Brady and, and the Bucs. Forget about it. It's this year. They had a layup in game one against the Giants, a team they were significantly better than when they were playing at full strength in the Giants' house. They ran them off the field, so they happened to get them in the, the first round of the playoffs, and they dismissed them the way they were supposed to. They get a quarterback who's down, a team who's down to his fourth quarterback in your house in the championship game. Again, a non-test for the Eagles. Meanwhile, the Chiefs were tested tough. They had been to two of the three previous Super Bowls. They had played two better teams in the playoffs in the Jaguars and the Bengals and the Eagles did and the Giants and the 49ers. And, oh, by the way, they got Andy Reid and the coaching staff that's been through it all before. Yeah, they, they kind of ran circles around the Eagles coaching staff. And maybe we didn't put enough emphasis on the matchup. And I think people are just dismissing the fact that the fact that the coaching staff's in evaluation before the game. You can't just say, we had the better roster, therefore we should have won the game. We are the better team, we just didn't win. 
No, that wasn't what happened. You, you kind of get this, watch the results thereafter, and you have to admit to them and, and suggest that that's the better team that won the game because they won the game. So uh, that, that is the only thing that's keeping me from 100% acceptance is the fact that a lot of Eagle fans are still trying to tell this tale, spin this narrative that the better team didn't win. No, the better team this day, and that makes it for the season, was the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm sorry to say. Well, it's a good point, and it's, I, I mean, I certainly can't argue it. I think the reason that people felt that way was two things. One, even though it was a very slim favorite, the Eagles were one-and-a-half-point favorites, and people here aren't used to that. We're used to being the underdog, so being the favorite, there, there were two reactions. One is, like, I don't believe it, and the other one was, well, if we're the favorite, we're guaranteed to win because they're <laughs> usually the favorite in these things. Mm. The other one, um, and you bring up a really good point with Andy Reid, and we underrated him, and I imagine that's because people here remembered the Andy Reid who was here who couldn't win that game. And so that's the Andy Reid we remember. He did win a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but in our minds, he'll always be, I got to do a better job, Andy Reid, don't get in the play call on time, which, by the way, the problem the Eagles had, he didn't. Uh, that Andy Reid. Um, and so I think you make a good point. It's, it's, and you mentioned the coaching staff, which, I mean, uh, the Eagles coaching staff, which really did disappoint. Um, I can't my, point my finger at one thing or one guy. That certainly does not exonerate, exonerate Jonathan Gannon. The defense was just terrible in the second half, and they didn't adjust. They didn't make a play. I don't know if you heard Mike Lombardi earlier this week with Angelo say the Eagles defended one pass the entire game. They had no pass rush. And it's more than that. I mean, and, and this is going to lead up to a question I want to ask you. There was the Sam Eagle illegal motion penalty, and then Hurts' fumble, and the damn punt return off of Sipus's lame line drive, and and the bad penalty call, of course, and maybe Nick not being as daring as he should have been, and, and Slay not covering somebody on that last touchdown pass, and I can keep going on. But here's mm -hmm. my question. I asked this to Mike Sealski yesterday. But I'm curious what you say, and if people want to call in on this, 215-592-9494. Jody, previous losses we remember in this town for moments, and you've been here for most of these, the Joe Carter home run, right? That You remember that World Series for that moment. Um, the Eagles losing in 2002 to Tampa Bay, the last game at the Vet, it's the Rondé Barber pick six return off McNabb. That's the moment. Um, the 2011 season, which was going to be the Philly second championship, they lost, and I I will always remember Ryan Howard tearing his Achilles, collapsing at the plate. Ten years from now, what's going to be the moment that we remember? What's going to be the the play, the moment, the thing? It's like, oh yeah, that loss. That was the one where. Oh, by the way, thanks for that walk down memory lane. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of those was dead on point. And yeah. thanks for opening those wounds uh, again, G-Mac. Okay. Appreciate right. that greatly. Hey, um, Bedlam at the bet. I, at the vet. I'll do it the other way. The strips it, are at sack. You know, it I'll, can I'll, go I'll, both ways. Yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, here's where I would ask you if I could cheat just a little. It's the two walk-in touchdowns. And I was on the air at the time. 
on CBS Sports Radio. The last couple of years, I've drawn the short straw, and right. my shift aligns with 6 o'clock on Sunday, which is exactly when they start the Super Bowl. So I got to do a little bit of a pregame show before, but then I was on for the entire time that the Super Bowl was on, so I have to go back and watch it again thereafter because I certainly acknowledge everything, see everything, but I got to listen to the announcers and be able to to decipher a couple things. I described them both as walk-in touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, How does that happen? That from four yards out, a guy can catch a pass – in the field of play, not in the end zone, in the field of play, and then walk into the end zone. Sirianni talked about it in his media session this week thereafter, and he said on one of the plays it was a uh, – what was the word he used? Uh, uh, it was – it was a, he didn't want to come out and say it was a player's fault, Darius Sly. Miscommunication, um, they often use that Execution. One. He said okay. uh, we didn't execute. Yeah, In other words, a player I was in favor of execution. At that <laughs> <point>. <laughs> a player, line. a player made a mistake, and that would be Darius Slay was going to chase him all the way across. Then when he didn't, he didn't come back, and he just let him catch and walk right into the end zone. On the other one, he said, "Yeah, and he got us on that one," which means they they were in a specific defense to prevent a specific play, and he went to the perfect play against it, and they had no chance whatsoever to defend it. Either way, they were two walk-in touchdowns, and that can't happen. And that's why everybody and his brother is saying, good riddance, the bad rubbish, uh, don't get a sunburn out there in Arizona. Uh, do we have to give you a ride to the airport? Oh, no, Jonathan Gannon never got back on the plane to come back to Philadelphia. He just stayed out there after getting the gig. Yeah, those two plays, that, that's going to stick out for me more than anything else. Not the fact that they give up two short touchdowns, two short walk-in touchdowns in which the Eagles secondary, which was the number one ranked secondary all year against the pass, numero uno, weren't even close to making a play on two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. Maybe. I mean, they certainly were the biggest plays in that regard. I mean, maybe the the Hurts fumble was the biggest play or the punt return was the biggest play, but those were huge, huge plays. I think it's going to be the penalty. Uh, Even though I can't blame the – there were a lot of reasons they lost, and the penalty isn't the biggest one, but it came at a time when if they had kicked the field goal, the Eagles would have had the opportunity. We don't know if they would have made it work, but to come back, and that just ended the game. That was it. That decided the game. Good call, bad call. Um, I think a bad call, but that's I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to overly bitch about the refs, but I think that was the one that we'll remember. Whether it's right or not, that's the one we'll remember. And so. the re- the reason why it was a bad call, Matt, because uh, we're we're in accord here. I think it was a bad call, not because they can't make that call in the last two minutes of the game. I have always been a defender of the rules of the rules. That if you call something the first three minutes of the game, you gotta if, if the same exact thing happens with three minutes to go in the game, it's still the same call, and you should call it the same way. The reason why that was a bad call was you need to stay consistent. I I might have mentioned this on my WIP show Monday night. I actually refereed. Did I tell you? You and I worked together for eight years. I'm sure I mentioned it to you sometime. Did I tell you that I was a referee? Yeah. Oh, I know that. Yeah. Uh, When I came out of college, I enjoyed doing it. I did uh, intramural refereeing uh, to make some extra bucks when I was a college student. And I enjoyed it so much after my playing days were over. It kept me in the game. 
I took the test to be a high school referee in Connecticut when I went down to work for ESPN. And I did a whole handful of games over two years for uh, uh, the local high schools up in Connecticut. And I really thought I was a pretty good referee. And I, I took it to heart, and I studied, and I watched mm-hmm. other referees. The one thing that stunk about it was, I, now I know I talked to you about it because I remember this, the problem with refereeing is once you do it, then you watch your game through a referee's yes, eyes. Yes, I remember you told me. And I don't want to do that. I want to watch a basketball game to watch a basketball game, not watch right. the referee and what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. But I couldn't yeah. get it out of my mind. So yeah. I, I do have a pretty good grasp on the way. I think you're supposed to referee, and I know high school football, high school basketball isn't the NFL. But I think this is consistent throughout. There are certain – if you've called – if you've made a call and not made a call all game, you can't make that call in the last two minutes. If you've relaxed, if you played, we're going to let them play type game for the entire game. The most important thing a referee has to be is consistent. You have to call the same thing throughout. There can be variations of what you do and don't call, but it has to be the same for the entire game. Not one pass interference, not one defensive holding call, and you're going to call it there with two minutes to go with a little tug on the jersey that didn't even seem to move the receiver off his route? The reason it was a bad call because he had gone away from what he had consistently called all game, not because he did so with only a minute and change to play. I thoroughly agree with you. That's exactly right. If you call that in the first quarter, you can call in the fourth quarter. If you don't, then you shouldn't. Correct. So just to back up for a second. So you're watching Sixers Celtics, right? And they're having this great game, and your eyes are on uh, Joey Crawford? Yes. Unfortunately, that's exactly – for the first couple of years after I, I hung up my whistle, yeah. I would find myself going, oh, shoot, the ref was out of position on that play. Who the hell cares? You're watching an NBA game. Stop it, McDonald. All right. All right. Let's use that as a transition to the Sixers just for a brief moment because I really do want to cover all four teams in the open, and I really want to spread out the conversation as much as we can today. And we will discuss the Eagles. One of the things we're going to get in – I'm going to ask Jody to prioritize the Eagles free agents, who stays and who goes. Uh, Sixers at the All-Star break. All-Star game uh, today. Sixers 38 and 19, third in the East. Man, they got a brutal schedule coming up. I was just looking at this. Mm-hmm. 44 days, 25 games, um, 15 of those 25 on the road. That is going to be a real tough one. At this moment, Jody, as we stand here on February the 19th, any reason to believe that this, this Sixers season will end differently than the last few? Other than just blind hope? Well, hope Probab- is a reason, I guess. Probably not. I, I had Colin Ward-Henninger, a uh, really good NBA writer from CBSSports.com, on my uh, uh, CBS show last night. And I asked him this very question to see what his take was and see if it was different than mine. I think right now in the East – you draw the line um, every single year, anytime you want to do it, uh, check your standings one week, one month, whatever. You can draw a line on where you think there is a drop-off. There are a bunch of teams grouped together, and then there's a line, and this is where it drops off, and this is where it drops off. I think that there is a legitimate drop-off after the Sixers in the East. It's the Celtics, it's the Bucks, it's the Sixers, and then comes the drop-off. So Cleveland that's your tier. A- that's your top tiers, those top three. Okay. Correct. Right. And I like them in that top tier, but they're definitively number three in that tier as yeah. well. 
Yeah. You could probably draw a line after the Celtics and probably draw another one after the Bucks, and then get to the Sixers. You, there's definitely a line after the Sixers, and it might be more defined than the top two. But it's not like the top three are all together, and then it's everybody else. No, the Celtics are the best, and the Bucks are the second best, and the Sixers are the third best, and then there's everybody else. So at some point, it's going to come down to having to beat the Celtics or the Bucks in the second round if everything goes to, to foil. And I don't know that they're up for either of those two things just That's yet. what it means. And it means if it works out as it is now, it means second round on the road, which is not advantageous. And I so want it to be different than the last couple of years. I would love to see them make a run and see this city get excited about that. Because I don't think anybody's I don't think anybody's gonna lift an eyebrow until they're in, you know, a deciding game in the second round. I don't think right. anybody's gonna buy in that it will be any different. Nor should they. <laughs> And it, now that we've gotten on this run, the Phillies kind of catching fire at the end of the season all the way to the world with a lead in the World Series, followed by the Eagles. That everybody thought was going to be good, a Super Bowl prediction very few made before the year started. So we're, we're on a bit of a roll, and if there is going to be a season, and sorry, Flyers, you're put off to the side here, of a team that's going to make the playoffs. We're going to expect success when we get to the playoffs because we're off two consecutive seasons of being just that. I hope the Sixers deliver. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying now we're back to supposed to win and not supposed to win. The better team, not the better team. They're not the better team when you compare them to either the Celtics or the Bucks. Right, and they haven't given evidence that they can win a series as an underdog. They haven't done that before, so there's no reason to believe they're going to do it now. Okay, maybe they will. Maybe they'll get better. Maybe something happens. Who knows? Quickly, because I said we'll get all four teams and we'll take some calls. Uh, the, the Flyers, man, I, Jody, I don't even know what to say. They they lose to the Canucks six to two last night in Vancouver six to two. This and this followed the other night against Seattle. They got crushed. They had one shot on goal in the first period. I'm surprised Tortorella didn't have a stroke. Um, they have now lost four straight. They've lost eight of their last ten. We imagine they're going to be selling off pieces. They are exactly what nobody wanted them to be this year, which is bad enough not to make the playoffs and not bad enough to make a run at Bedard. It is a thoroughly – I will say, I'm sure there will be others that we could think of, but this is the most unsatisfying season I can name by any Philadelphia team in a long time. I have no interest in watching. I do almost because I'm required and just out of habit. I've watched hockey my whole life. But I have such disaffection for this team that I, I watch, it's a hate watch. I don't know how you feel, but that's that's my Do, honest opinion. A question on that. Is it Tortorella motivated? Are you good with Tortorella? Oh, yeah, I know, he's the only, I, I know the only when, thing I like. Right. I know when they hired him, I didn't like the hire. And I know Tortorella, and I think he's yeah. a good coach. You've had your moments. But I just thought he was a terrible fit with the group that they couple of headlines and maybe appease the Flyers because he was a recognizable name. I thought he was a bad hire, but then I had to give credit because during segments of the season this year, I think he's been a real nice fit with this group, that he's gotten some players to step up and be better than I thought he would. Now they're in the doldrums again, and I'm back to thinking that it was just a uh, grab-attention headline. 
Um, He's the only thing I like. He's the only thing I like because he, when guys play poorly, he nails their butt to the bench. That's true. And that's what, that's, I I am so ticked. It's the personnel on this team that stinks. It's not the coach. And it's the drafting and the, and the development and the trades and all of that. And so when he sits down Kevin Hayes, and I like Kevin Hayes, but when he sits down Kevin Hayes for 10 minutes and there's a reason behind it, and I admire him for doing that. And it's like he, he's the only thing. <laughs> Carter Hart. I like Carter Hart. Other than that, Jody. All right, let me get baseball. Here's, Go ahead. It, let, yeah, yeah. let me just respond to that. Here's the reason why Tortorella isn't working and it might not be a great hire. Uh, when you sit down, Kevin Hayes. Yeah, Hayes doesn't go hard to a puck in the corner. Uh, doesn't uh, sh- skate his shift the way he's supposed to. He's not only – I don't think he really believes, oh, if I sit him, Kevin Hayes is going to play that much harder going forward. Hayes has been around. Hayes no. All you have to do is, Hayes, pick it up. And you don't have to actually pull him from the game. I think he's doing so because I think he thinks it's going to light a fire under his teammates. That other guys are going to go, Great. oh, man, he could pull me. What effect, guys, is, sure. what effect has that had? Which of the young guys have played better because he, he decides to make an example out of Kevin Hayes? They haven't, but I'm yeah. not putting that on him. He's doing his best to do it. He's I, I not understand. a long-term man. We know he's not. He's not going to be here in two years, but I'll, I'll, I'll take the rage coach right now. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying his, I'm, his, I'm, tactics, his tactics haven't, and I don't believe they will work. No, but nothing would work. You could bring Scotty Bowman out of uh, – actually, I shouldn't – I don't know if Scotty Bowman has passed, but you could bring Scotty Bowman out of mothballs, and I don't think that would work. All right, last thing real quick because I want to get some calls here. Baseball, survey of executives in baseball by our pal Jason Stark of the Athletics said the Phillies are the most improved team in the National League, more than the Mets, more than the Cubs. However, Jody – the Phillies won 87 games last year. I looked this up this morning. Vegas odds have them over under at 87.5 or 85.5. That doesn't suggest major improvement. Who's right, Vegas or the, I think Jason interviewed 30 baseball executives. Who's right? Um, wow, there's a bunch of different ways you can analyze that. Um, they can both be right. The Phillies could win 88 games and be an improved team because Harper is out for longer this year. The only thing that matters is come playoff time, and we know what Bruce Bryce did in the playoffs, Captain Clutch, uh, that they can be a team that can absolutely get back to the World Series, but they're going to have to do it via the wild card again. Um, they, are, In my eyes, they're improved. More improved than anybody else? Mm, yeah, I hate to say this. I think the Mets are more improved than the Phillies in the National League. I think the Mets think so. So We shall see. Let's get a couple of calls in. 215-592-9494. John in Phoenixville starts us. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, across all the points, Glenn, totally aligned. I uh, want to know quickly, will the Flyers have a fire sale? Can we get a 10-game losing streak so we can get – better odds there's about five good prospects in this and currently we're sitting at six percent for the top pick at, at yeah. point number nine will, will kevin love help this team all right well let's take it one at a time i'll take the okay. flyers jody will take kevin love in terms of the flyers yeah they could lose a lot of games my feeling is as soon as i think they will they'll start winning again though uh i hope they have a fire sale i mean van reemstein's gotta go right i, I don't yeah 
I don't know that they're going to get a lot for anything else. But anyway, Jody, uh, Kevin Love um, said he's going to talk to the Sixers. What do you think? Right. But I also heard last night it was darn close to a done deal. He's going to Miami. And if he does, I'm not that motivated either way. I think the buyout market is woefully inflated every single year. The importance of, ooh, we can get him on a buyout. Give me a buyout guy who stepped in and been a key contributor to a team making a championship run. It really doesn't happen very often. All that being said, I'll take Kevin Love for one reason and one reason only. The guy can board. And that's That's a problem the Sixers have right now. They're not this side of Embiid. And Harden gets enough rebounds for a point guard. Harris isn't rebounding. Maxie doesn't rebound. Niang makes threes. He doesn't really rebound. They could really use another rebounder. And even though he's not the player he once was, and he surely didn't live up to his contract, he's kind of a Tobias Harris-like guy for the Cavs. Um, I, I, if he was coming in for the veteran NBA minimum, I'd get him in just to play 10 minutes a night and get five boards for me. And what was Fair your uh, Eagles point? Yeah, you know, been through with my brother, you know, the field, uh, Gainwell slips, causes third and short, and Sayamalu uh, false starts, and that's a fumble. But what I really want to know is, why do teams punt the ball in the field of play? There's no penalty for punting out of bounds. Why don't they punt the ball out of bounds? Because you usually don't get as much distance because you're punting at an angle. Well, they certainly, stupid bet aside, they certainly got enough distance on that return. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's true. In hindsight, you bet. In hindsight, I would rather you punted it 10 yards out of bounds. But it's the, uh, Jody, it's the, uh, what is it, Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, you're doing. A square plus B square equals C square. Is that algebra? That's an algebra. You're doing geometry for us. Geometry, thank you. Well, there you go. I'm impressed. it's it, it's a shankopotamus. That's all there is to it. They decided to go with a guy that tells you how bad Kern was. They went with a guy who hadn't kicked in a game in seven weeks. They said, and oh, by the way, when he got hurt, he was in the bottom third of punt, uh, every significant punter rating in the National Football League. The, the guy we signed to take his place is even worse than he is. Let's throw a guy back out there who hasn't punted in seven weeks. Yep. Eric in South Carolina is with us. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you guys. I go back 25 years with you guys. Thank you so Remember much. You guys, cool. used, you guys used to show up in McGlynn's in Delaware. Yes. Nice. Um, yeah, I like that good place. place. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I cut my teeth listening to you guys back that then. That place still open, by 40. the way? Yeah, they got a couple in Delaware. I, I mean, I've been down here about 16, 17 years. Yeah, there's a couple places. I like I think they have two spots. Tell them we say hi. Yeah, yeah McGlynn's well, good the, food. <laughs> um, gentlemen, so I was at the game last week. I'll accept it doesn't mean I have, to, I have to not be pissed for the rest of my life because it's lost. Um, and I'm pissed for three reasons. And I always believe this in football. Three ways you win a game. Defense is number one. Gannon sucks. He never he was able to adapt to top-tier quarterbacks. Look at his rating. I mean, Dak put up 40 points together against mm-hmm. us. He's, he's only good against bad quarterbacks. Yep. And, yeah, so if it, the, 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 uh, the fake motion play, you know, you do it once. That's fine. You got burnt, but it shouldn't happen twice. And by he the did, way, it happened against not... Jacksonville, which is how uh, Andy kind of learned the play. And you would hope that yeah. the Eagles would have self-scouted enough to see their vulnerability to that. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, and I saw that. And then secondly, it's a running game. I always, you don't have to be a run-oriented team, but you've got to have situational running. They did not. Other than Hurts, Miles Sanders disappoints me. I think he's a bust. I think it's time to move on. 
The 17 Super Bowl showed you. You need let me, power Let me back. disagree with you. In the Super Bowl, they couldn't run at all. But during the season, they ran very effectively. Um, all of them did. Sanders had a very good hurt. season running the ball, as did Gainwell late in the season, as did Boston Scott when he was. I, I disagree with you on that one. Well, and I, I don't disagree that they were good at times, but this is a Super Bowl. You've got to just roll up your sleeves and go at it. And I, Sanders came up weak. I, I'm, I want a power back that can get there in between the tackles and make those defensive linemen hurt. And yeah, he had, listen, he, yeah. he, had a, he had a bad uh, Super Bowl. Jody, the entire running game did. Uh, and I don't think the the Eagles' offensive line, which was so, so great all year, did not have a particularly good Super Bowl either. Here's uh, one thing that uh, you, you can disagree with the philosophy, but it is it the way the Eagles ran their offense this year, and I think we'll run it again next year. Those of you who want to power back uh, Jay Ajayi or LeGarrette Blunt to reproduce the Super Bowl team in 2017, not happening. The Eagles have their power back. His name's Jalen Hurts. <laughs> And I know you and I are going to talk about it a little oh, later in the show yes, sir. that the NFL might attempt to take part of the Eagles' power running game out of their game by changing the rules, but he is their power back. That's why they don't have a power back because they have one. His name's Jalen Hurts. Amen. 215-592-9494. As you can see, we've got all four sports in play, and we're going to talk to a couple of uh, terrific uh, correspondents. Todd Zalecki, we'll get him at 11 o'clock to talk about the Phillies. And uh, Derek Bodner at noon to talk about the Sixers, but take your calls all day. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. And this is 94 WIP. And let me tell you that, um, hey, the winter hasn't been bad, but you know it's not over. And if you're still thinking, mm, I might want to replace those drafty, inefficient windows and doors, you should, and you should do it with the great people at Guide Door and Window. They can help. They're giving you one more month to do so at their best prices of the year. Now, maybe you haven't taken advantage of Guide's big winter sale. This is your last chance. You can receive 40% off every window and door you buy. That's right, 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window. It also includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer will expire at the end of February. Don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new doors or windows, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. Let's go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. First and goal, he's trying to shove Hurts over the end zone, waiting for a signal. He's in, touchdown, Eagles. All right, Jody McDonald, we teased this a little bit earlier. We've talked about this play. It is something that the Eagles executed marvelously, marvelously this year. It's the quarterback sneak. Uh, the last I saw, they were 38 for 40 or something along those lines. Um, and they did it in a way that you really haven't seen other teams do over the year, which is as soon as the ball is snapped, the offensive linemen get really low. And so much credit to them on this thing. You saw it on that play in the Super Bowl. I mean, say uh, Maialata, who's 360 pounds, immediately gets on the ground and starts pushing guys by the knees. It's impressive, pushing guys back. 
But the thing that everybody notices is as Jalen Hurts goes, the, the the wide receivers, the running backs, everybody gets behind him and tries to shove him past the first down line or into the end zone. It has become known as the tush push, and the NFL is looking into banning it. Uh, Dean Blandino, who's the rules analyst for Fox NFL, said, quote, the league wants to showcase the athleticism and skill of our athletes. This is not a skillful play. It's not an aesthetically pleasing play. Your thoughts, Jody? I think Dean Blandino said it best. Uh, I, I agree with him pretty much across the board. Do you really? Absolutely. Oh, no. And, and here's the way that I think you need to look at it. You need to take your eagle-colored glasses off. I will. This is a tremendously successful play for the Philadelphia Eagles, has been this year. No team in the history of the NFL has done it the way they've done it this year. But there are 31 other teams, and Roger Goodell and all of the other owners who are going to decide this with their arm-twisting of the competition committee is going to say, yeah, no, Blandino's right. It isn't a optically pleasing type play. It's a rugby scrum. Yes! This is the National Football League. It's not, if you want to watch rugby, rugby go to Univision or, uh, or wherever you nah, can pick up nah, the game. It's not, it's not the NFL. All right. Let me disagree on many levels. One is, uh, let's, I'll go with the rugby scrum part first. Football is a lot of things. Football is a beautiful game of speed and grace, and football is a game of brute force and power, and football is something where, um, you know, you can have a guy who's in the league because he runs the 40-yard dash in four-plus seconds, and you can have it because somebody in my lot is six foot eight and 360 pounds. And one of the things about it is the variety of things, and the fact that this team has figured out a way to make this play work I don't think whether it's aesthetically pleasing is particularly relevant, but I do think it's fun to watch because you see it coming and you see everybody's going to get in the middle and who's going to win the push. The Eagles are great at it. That doesn't mean that it's not fun to watch. And other teams, rather than throwing a fit about it, why don't other teams see if they can do it? All right. And the answer, let let me answer my own question. The answer is the reason is because – between Jalen Hurts' great ability and the elite offensive line the Eagles have, they're able to do it. They're equipped to do it better than other teams. The push became legal in the NFL in 2005. I saw Paul Domowicz wrote about it, a thing about this. Yep. And um, just because the team got good at it doesn't mean you should end it. I don't care if other they like watching it. Let, let me let me question your it's good to watch theory. The Eagles were 38 for 40 this year. What if they were 8 for 40? Then they'd stop doing it. But they continued to do it for some foolish reason. Well, I'd be Would mad you at continue them. to say it's fun to watch? No, not if they can't do it. Right. Then I'd say you're, stop. You're, well, you're, you're, you, no, what's fun is the result. The actual play no, itself no, is then, not me, fun to watch. Then let me back up a minute. It would be aggravating to watch if they didn't do it, and I would be mad at the coach for trying it. But it is, it is fun in that it's dramatic. It's not boring, right? It's not oh, like, I, eh, think I don't want to see this. I'll boring. turn away. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Ah, 
it's a boring play. It's yeah, stone I, cold boring. The result is great. It keeps Eagle drives going. You're, you you like it because you're an Eagle uh, fan because they got a first down and the drive continues, not because, oh, my God, that exciting dive over the line that got a yard and a half when they needed a yard was tremendous. Oh, my. F- throw your fist up. And he- no, it's not that ex- It's n- It's a non-exciting okay. play. I, it's a successful play, but it sure as heck isn't exciting. I am not going to be able to convince you that that – I like it beyond the fact that the Eagles do it well because I'm, you're you're not going to be able to, to see that from me. But honestly, I think it is fun and exciting. And if I was watching a game between the Seattle Seahawks and the, you know, to pick another team, the Rams, and somebody did it, I would find it exciting. I would find really? it interesting. Yes, better think- than – Better than your regular quarterback sneak. Yeah, it adds a dimension to it. You bet. I'm in. Okay. I I'm believe you, up. but I, 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 I see it completely differently. So you, I would, you're, uh, I you're would for suggest, the band. I would suggest if Jalen Hurts were on the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott was the Eagle quarterback, Eagle fans would be screaming from high heaven. We used to, they just put this stupid rule in 13 years ago. Turn it around. Get rid of it. It's not football. I think people are fighting for it and believe that uh, the change will be bad because the Philadelphia Eagles are the team that have become that successful. So and why they don't is want to the see league, their team lose an advantage? Why all of a sudden, when it's been it's, it has been in the rule book for the last seventeen years that you can do it, sixteen years? Why is it that all of a sudden that like yeah, let's take it out? Because it's and I know you disagree, but uh, myself and Dean Blandino and others see it as a non-exciting play. Uh, it's not football; it's rugby, okay. and uh, it's just uh, not going to ring true here in the Delaware Valley because the Eagles happen to be the team. And oh, by the way, let me give credit to the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts has a skill set that others don't have across the league, and the Eagles were smart enough, wise enough, worked on it enough to become as good at it as they are. But it still doesn't take away from the fact that it's not football and the NFL changes rules on a yearly basis. And this is one that they're going to change. I feel very confident about it. 38 for 40, by the way, with the Tush Bush this yeah. year. And uh, if they were 8 for 40, you know no one would be saying anything. Football and rugby are not as far apart as you think. That's my belief. All right. Let's talk to Brian. We'll see what people think. Brian in Middleton is with us. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, guys. And uh, you know, Brian, what, do me a favor. You, you yeah. sound like you're calling us from the bottom of a well. Could you get a little closer to the phone, or something? how is that? Is that better? Yes, a little better. Oh, okay, a little better. All right, I'll see if I can move into another location. Um, all right, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Happy good Sunday. Morning. And uh, look, if they get rid, rid of that, I guess a tush push, it really doesn't matter because Hertz himself is strong enough. You know, the fact that he does the, the squats, I mean, he's strong enough to get that first down just with a normal quarterback sneak, and, you know, going in between the guard and the center. So, I mean, I'm okay with them sort of getting rid of the whole idea of being aided by someone pushing. But listen, I call because I absolutely agree with Jody Mack on this uh, regarding the difference in this Super Bowl was clearly the veteran coaching staff, you know, look, and I'll say this, I was, you know, initially critical of Nick Sirianni last year, he was hired and the youth of the coaching staff, obviously they've done a, a pretty darn good job getting to the Super Bowl. But in this spot, the, the veterans, Steve Spagnola, Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, yeah, the guys who are not the, uh, you know, the GQ looking uh, new coaches that, you know, are being hired. Uh, were actually the ones who outsmarted, you yeah. know, one of the things, let me just add one one point here, um, 
And, and I, one of the things that worried me when the Eagles hired their staff initially last year and all these guys came in. And by the way, it's it, give, let's give credit, man. I mean, Nick Sirianni and his staff went 14-3 and three and then 2-1 oh, in the postseason. But I always felt they needed that senior voice in there to kind of be the voice of experience in, in some role. And, and Stoutland, I guess, is that to a degree. But I agree, um, Glenn. At a coordinator level – I think that would be important. It would be interesting to see what they do in terms of replacing, you know, both coordinator positions. I know they're going to look internally, but even if they went outside for that defensive coordinator uh, spot, I, you know, I would not, you know, be disappointed getting someone maybe who had already been a head coach, you know. Um, because, as, as Jody, as you pointed out, those two touchdowns by the, near the goal line, that's not supposed to happen. No. I mean, it's, it's congested around that area. Normally you don't have enough space. And the fact that you get two guys wide open just means there's clearly a breakdown. And, and look, and Glenn, you're right. There are a number of different issues in this game. I know Hurts fumble, but the bottom line is they're up 10 points at halftime. Absolutely. So, uh, that, Brian, I, I, you, make, you, you make a great point, and you say it well. Uh, can, Jody, McMahon, can we do away with uh, false motion? That if you bring a guy in motion, you got to get him all the way to the other side of the field. You can't stop and go back the other way because that worked significantly well against Eagles. So I'm suggesting a uh, rule change going into next year no. where you can't bring a guy in fake no, motion. No, because you're, what you're doing is you you already ascribed false motives to me when you said I only like this because the Eagles do it well. So now you're trying to make me buy into the flip side, and I will not. Okay, Thank I'm you. just wondering. If, I, if I know where you're going. If we're going to stay I, with rules just because – Or Jody, we can change Your tricks are pretty them. transparent here. Okay. All right. I mean, let's, uh, let's get David, our pal in North uh, Philly. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? First things first, before we start focusing on the tush push and correcting that, Dean Blandino, tell me what it, a catch is. How the heck oh, that's a great question. The Devontae Smith thing when it's supposed to be irretrievable, but it takes you in the Super Bowl like 10 minutes to find out. If it was that clear, then it shouldn't have took you 10 minutes. The call on the field was the catch. You clearly had to look and look and look and look and look and look before you overturn it. And the the, uh, the Dallas Cotter catch that um that they reviewed or whatever whatever they were doing, he caught it on his helmet like he was talking on his cell phone. I don't know how he could. That was a great catch. And yeah, it's it was a great catch. This is the second Super Bowl where a tight end – we have to go through that process. The Zach Ertz touchdown that was always a touchdown that never touched the ground. That's a damn good catch. And that, yeah, I'm going to get back to your original point, and, and Jody, run this by you. Um, when you review a catch like the Devontae Smith one, which, again, I'm kind of with David on this, but that may be you know, my hometown thing thinking it was a catch. At what point do you say, okay, we've reviewed it enough. We're really not conclusive yet. Let's just go with what the ruling was on the field. I, I too, thought it was a catch, and I thought the Eagles got jobbed on that one. Um, but I'll, th- this will annoy you, Eagle fans. What may have come into play here was the NFC Championship game. When the Eagles hustled up to the line after the Devontae Smith catch, and he yeah. kind of signaled to them that – you know, the ball might have actually hit the ground, and the Eagles got the playoff in time before they could go to all the replays. Well, this was a stop play. The ball was out of bounds. So they could take as much time as they wanted to, and I'm not sitting in that truck with the 62 different cameras that Fox has for the Super Bowl, and maybe there was one angle that showed that the ball actually moved. 
for them to be able to say, whoa, 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 look at this. It's not a catch that the, the advantage Eagles got in a championship game, and it was their advantage as they earned it by hustling up to the line, may have come back and bit them in the Super Bowl because they took as many different looks at the as same player, Devontae Smith, sideline catch uh, in the Super Bowl and overturned it, which I still think they got wrong because I never saw the replay that told me, yeah, that ball was loose, but apparently somebody did. All right, real quick, Bob and Wilmington, we got about a minute before we got a break. Tush, push, up or down? Up. Thank you. Um, I'll tell you why, Glenn and Jody, good morning. Um, How about the last two minutes of the game when teams are kneeling on the ball to run out the clock? Is that compelling football there? Is that that interesting Uh, when uh, the teams have to run the football? Uh, like Joe Pisarsic did in the Meadowlands. I mean, come on, that's about as boring as it gets. I find the push-push uh, interesting. I I appreciate your eagle fandom. Thank you, Bob. They yeah. didn't say, oh, that, see, now you're just, you don't know that. I don't know what. That That's his motive. You're right, I don't. I'm assuming that. I know you. I, I, I'll ask him the same question I asked you, and you already answered it, and I have to accept your answer. If Jalen Hurts was on the Dallas Cowboys, I don't think you'd feel the same about the exciting nature of the tush-push. Well, the, the best news is that we can assume that Jalen Hurts will never be on the Dallas Cowboys, and regardless of how you feel about the tush-push, that is one that would give me the chills. Coming up, Jody Mack, we're going to talk some baseball. I love talking baseball with you. It is one of my favorite things to do, and I love talking baseball with Todd Zalecki of MLB.com, so it's going to be a pretty damn good segment. We'll take your calls, too, at 215-592-9494. I'm Glenn Mack now with Jody Mack on 94 WIP. Oh, let me tell you about my good friends at the Bad Park Sportsbook. Oh, football's over. What are we going to do? Well, you got college and pro hoops. You got hockey. I'm probably going to lose a couple of shekels on golf this week. Thank you very much. MMA. Oh, the games continue, as does the enjoyment you can have with the Bet Park Sportsbook Casino app. They've got you covered on it all. Odds, bets, slots, games. Go right there in the palm of your hand. Safe, secure, very easy to use. The official sports book of the real Philly sports fan and the only sports book and casino app that I recommend. Better more than just a score. Player performances, live in-game betting. You can get action while the action is ongoing. Bet on how many points, assists, rebounds a, a guy gets. Join me now. You new users who've never played with Parks before, you can get up to $750 in a sports book. Bonus back if your first bet is not a winner. That's a no-lose proposition. Download the app and start playing instantly. Join me with the Bet Park Sportsbook and Casino app. Darvish kicks and deals. Swung on his hit. Wow. Deep to right field. Titanic shot into the second deck. Wow. The Phillies take a 2-0 lead. Kyle Schwarber signals to the bullpen as he gets to second base. That was as long a home run as you're going to see here at Petco Park. Nice job, Tom McCarthy. There you go. One of the highlights from last year. And baseball is coming back. Pitchers and catchers. I just love watching the guys do the calisthenics down there, Jody. You know? <laughs> I do. They're just like skipping along and stuff. And then you see the pitchers throwing. I just I love the whole thing. So we are, I guess, the, the first 
games start in a couple of days. Well, let's you know what? Let's find out from somebody who really knows. Todd Zalecki, our friend, covers his Phillies for MLB.com. Todd, always a pleasure. Um, and I want to start with this because I, I think maybe we're going to get news. I hope we're going to get news about this soon. They've been negotiating with Aaron Nola toward a contract extension. I inferred there was some optimism. Is that correct? Yeah, I think there is some optimism. I think it's something the Phillies absolutely want to get done. Uh, you know, he's been super productive over the years, of course. Uh, he has been one of the better pitchers in baseball. And I think the way the Phillies look at it is they've locked up all these other players. The last thing you want to do is lose a guy like Aaron Noah and then have to go out and try to find his replacement. Uh, so they have been talking. They have exchanged figures. Uh, they, they are hopeful they can get something done. Before spring training, you know, Aaron uh, Nola told uh, Mac Elb the other day from the Athletic that he does not want to negotiate once the season starts. And so I guess there's kind of a, a deadline on it. I, I would call it a soft deadline because if they get really far down the road on this thing, they, they can probably get it done even, even before opening day. Um, so it's something the Phillies absolutely want to do is keep Aaron Nola. All right. Since you went there, now I have to follow up with this question. Does Todd Zalecki consider Aaron Nola an ace? I don't think he I, – I, I consider Zach Wheeler an ace. I, I think Zach Wheeler is one of the top five, eight pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. I think Aaron Nola, though, is probably just a hair under that. And I know a lot of the criticism from Aaron has been some of his struggles late in the season the past few years. He kind of put that aside until maybe his last two postseason starts, which obviously were huge. But he he is a very, very good pitcher. Maybe not an ace. Maybe not Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, uh, you know, Justin DeGrom, Justin Verlander. But he is somebody that I think if you ask right now, 29 other teams would kill to have in the rotation. All right, Todd, let's stay on pitching for a moment and move to what we hope is the next generation. And there is a lot of buzz about Andrew Painter. There was all the, you know, the MLB prospects have him as a top 15 prospect. And I, I heard the other day, the, the first day he was throwing, he looked so good. He's 19 years old. <laughs> Tell me, you've watched him throw. Tell me what you see from him. And is it is it genuinely realistic that this kid could make the team before he can legally buy a fine beer? It is absolutely realistic that he could make the team before he's able to go into a, into a bar in Philadelphia. He has a very legitimate chance to make this rotation. And what I find interesting is, Glenn, how many times has a president of baseball operations or a GM try to like kind of temper expectations yep. about a prospect? You know, well, you know, this guy he's really good, but you know, we don't, you know, we don't put too much on him. Dave Dombrowski, since last summer, was dropping comps to Josh Beckett, who he had when he was the Marlins GM. Uh, he has he has made no bones that he has a chance to come out and win a job. In spring training, um, I and I asked Dave about this just the other day, and he said, "I just think the guy's really, really good. He's got four good pitches. He's he's not one of these prospects. He's like God. He's really throws hard, but he needs to kind of command his curveball and his changeup better. He's still working. It's like no, he's got four pitches, fastball that can hit touch ninety and eight, ninety nine at times, curveball, slider, changeup. He's now working on a cutter this spring. 
He's like six five. He's built already. Uh, he says this guy can hold runners. He's athletic. Nothing seems to rattle him. Nothing seems to bother him. And we talked to Andrew Painter the other day, and he is just a very polished kid. He doesn't. I know what I was like when I was nineteen. I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a knucklehead. Yeah. I wasn't confident, you know, uh, about anything, I feel like. You know, when I look back, and this guy's just very confident. And here's another thing, Glenn, which I think tells you how legitimate his chance is. I walked into the clubhouse on Thursday, the first day of pitchers and catchers, and his locker was right next to Zach Wheeler's. Here's why this is notable. Andrew Painter wears number 76. I've been, this is my 20th spring in Clearwater. The blockers, almost without exception, are arranged numerically. So always the prospects are on one side, all the veterans are on the other. Zach Wheeler told uh, the clubhouse guys, I want this kid next to me this spring. I want Andrew wow. Painter. So that tells you what yeah, the front good. office feels. That tells you what the players feel about Andrew Painter. All right, let me take you down this road because we talk about it a lot with the Eagles. And almost never with the Phillies. Baseball and football are two different sports, but organizational power charts can be very similar. Sometimes people question whether the powers that be, Howie Roseman, Jeff Laurie, dictate terms to the coaching staff on how much practice they're going to, how vigorous practice is going to be, use of players. In this situation, you're making it sound like Dave Dombrowski is dictating everything as to how Andrew Painter is going to be used from spring training, make the opening roster, how many innings he's going to pitch. Is the pitching coach and the manager going to get any say on how they handle Andrew Painter this year? Yeah, I think, oh, for sure, for sure. But I think what Dave is saying, he's like, listen, I don't want to baby this kid. If he's the best guy, if he's the best pitcher in camp, I don't care if he's 19 years old. I want him in the rotation. And, you know, I asked Dave, I said, you know, because – the next question is, well, workload, innings count, pitch count, all that stuff. I said, is there a scenario in your mind where he's in the opening day rotation? He's making starts in October. And he says, yes, there is a way to do it. They could go to a six-man rotation at some point. Uh, there's days off, obviously, so they could skip him uh, a few times throughout the season to kind of keep him fresh. But uh, is, is Dave running the show on this? I think Dave is just basically t- kind of taking the reins off of Andrew Painter and, and telling Rob Thompson and Caleb Coffin, listen, make sure this guy is ready to go. I want him ready to compete. But but Rob and Caleb and the front office, Sam Fold included, are, are all, I think, very involved equally on this. There's nothing more fun in baseball than, than watching the young guy come up. I mean, it really, it is so fun. And, and the prospect yeah. of, of the prospect of the prospect is great. All right, I'm going to switch. I'm going to stay in pitching, but switch to the bullpen. Because they made moves this offseason. They brought in Craig Kimbrell, who I can't wait to see pitch just because I want to see if the fans do the thing where they stoop way down and <laughs> do the vulture thing that he does, which they used to do right. to mock him. They brought in Gregory Soto, who closed some for the Tigers. They re-upped Anthony Dominguez, and they re-upped Jose Alvarado. I think all four of those guys will get saves during the season Who's going to have the most for this team? Who's going to be the, the lead dog, at least when they start? I, when they start, if it, so if it's opening day, save situation, and you know it's not, say, three lefties in a row, I, I personally think it's going to be Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think he's the guy to open the season that's going to get the most opportunities. And, and, and you know, Rob has said a few times that 
he doesn't want to name a closer. He didn't do that obviously last season. He kind of mixed and matched down the stretch. But then it, the, the only it was interesting recently. He said he wants to he will keep the door open for somebody that if they really seize the job and they are really super lights out, he says he would be open to then anointing somebody as a closer. But right early on, I think it's going to be to be Dominguez. But you're right. I also think you're going to see Alvarado in there. I think you're going to see Soto in there. And I think you're going to see Kimbrell in there, which is great because they're going to try to protect these guys early. You know, they're not going to run them out there three days in a row. So it's nice to have options rather than just one guy and, oh, my gosh, who's going to pitch tonight in the ninth inning? They don't have, They should not have that concern this year. Todd Zalicki, MLB.com, here with us on 94 WIP. All right, Todd, my next question is a good news, bad news scenario. The bad news scenario is that I have a major concern with the fact that the Phillies do not have a legitimate backup center fielder. The good news is if you have one concern with your backup center fielder, you're in I really do worry about who's to play center field. What happens if Brad Marsh uh, breaks his ankle the second week of the season the Phillies are a little high and dry in that area for me. Uh, will it right. um, do they really believe Guthrie could be an everyday center fielder? Is Rojas that close that he could make a major leap? I'm worried about backup center field. Allay my fears. No, yeah, that's that's a great point. You know, it, they, they do not have a guy after trading Matt Beerling. So they have a couple guys in camp. You mentioned Dalton Guthrie. I think he's a favorite to, to win a bench shot. They do think he can play some center field. He has played some center field in the minor leagues. They got a guy, Jake Cave, who's kind of a, you know, a, a depth outfielder that they that they think could help out out there. And then you mentioned Johan Rojas. They have Simon Mazioti, um, who's on the 40-man roster. Rojas is a guy, he would be very interesting. I think in a situation like that, worst-case scenario, Jody, if something would happen to Brandon Marsh and they're like, we just, we just need somebody to go out there and catch a fly ball because the other eight guys in the lineup in theory should be very, very, very good. I could see Johan Rojas going out there. They think this guy right now is a gold glove caliber outfielder. He is blazing, blazing fast. He's got a good arm, uh, just a brilliant defender. So I, that would be the guy I personally would want to see. Just go out and have a guy to catch fly balls. And if he gets hit, great you don't need him to hit they're not expecting brandon marsh to be a savior at the lineup too he's probably going to hit nine this season uh so that's how the way I, that's the way i would see it, see it going down yeah brandon marsh is just going to have to cover a lot of turf if they if they open the year with schwarber and left and castellanos and right brandon marsh's job is just going to be keep running it, run catch it everything out there <laughs> run it down um, run it down right so todd zalecki uh you follow him on twitter at todd zalecki z-o-l-e-c-k-i you have a piece uh that uh, just dropped i think today maybe yesterday uh which is a uh, trey turner uh profile <clears throat> phillies fans have watched him you know we've seen him when he played with the nationals against the phillies so we saw some of those games and he's with the dodgers but we didn't really see him most fans that many times a year in the story that you write, you compare him to God, which is to say Chase Utley. Um, for Phillies yeah. fans who didn't spend a lot of time watching Trey Turner, but maybe are excited that they signed him, who is he? What is his skill set? What did they add? How good is this guy? He, he's, he is one of the best players in baseball. You can make your argument he's one of the top five players in baseball, top ten players in baseball over the last five, six years. He is somebody who hits for high average, 
and hits for power. And that's why I compared him to Utley. Uh, Turner, in his last five seasons, 651 games, batted 301 with a 486 slugging percentage. There's only been eight players in Phillies history since, or since 1920, eight Phillies players that have had a 650-game span like that, and not since Utley back in 2010. Before that, Bobby Abreu. Before that, Greg Luzinski. Before that, Dick Allen. That's very sweet. serious company, company of yeah yeah, it, yeah exactly so um he larry i had talked with larry boa yesterday about trey and he's really excited because of because of the, the ability to get on base because he has an excellent two-strike approach this is a guy who one two 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 three two oh two just tries to put the ball in play he's been, he was he's been one of the best hitters in baseball with two strikes and then what Larry likes about him a lot is when he gets on base in the late innings, he said everybody kind of tenses up in the field. The pitcher's like, I got to worry about this guy. The outfielder, if there's a flare hit the center field, uh, he might be panicked about getting the ball in. So now he bobbles the ball. There's all these different things that kind of come into play. The infielders move in to get closer to the bag for a potential stolen base. So now Kyle Schwarber hooks the ball through the hole in right field. Now trainer Trey Turner's on third base. He's going to do all those things. Larry Boa used the word, he is a disruptor, and that's absolutely what he is. Just like Chase Utley. Chase Utley, high batting average guy, high slugging guy, fantastic, brilliant base runner, and, 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 and Trey Turner is exactly the same type of guy. Uh, another residual effect of Turner is they get to move Stott to second base. And just personally, I think it's its more natural position, but he's basically been a shortstop all his life. How much time, if any, is it going to take for him to transition to second base? Because I think once he gets to it, I think he's got a chance to be a well above average second baseman. What do you think Stott's going to do with the glove at second? Yeah, I I, I agree, Jody. I think he's going to be a a very good second baseman. I think the Phillies are very excited as well. Like you know, he held down his own at, at shortstop certainly, but I think you talk to everybody in camp and just in the off season, they really like the idea of Trey at short. And Stott at second, you get a lot of athleticism there. And talking to Trey yesterday, he's really enjoyed so far uh, working with Bryson, kind of, you know, learning the lay of the land, so to speak, building up rapport. So I think it's a good move defensively for the Phillies. You know, um, you know, Gene Segura was was a fine second baseman, but I think I think Bryson can be better. And this is a team that needs to be better defensively, and I think I think that helps them. Todd, very excited about it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating a, a very good season off of what was a terrific, surprising end last year. Uh, Todd Zalecki, you can, as I said, follow him on Twitter, at Todd Zalecki. You can read him on MLB.com. You can see him on the MLB Network. And you got the newsletter. People want to get the newsletter. How do they do that? Yeah, you can go. Uh, the news, latest newsletter just dropped on uh, MLB.com, Phillies.com. At the very top of the story, there's a link. You can subscribe. It comes out uh, once a week during the spring training, twice a week. I put in all sorts of fun. I try to put some fun stuff in there. So uh, it's, it's a good read, and you get it in your email box. You can read it at your convenience. There you go. And there is a, <laughs> uh, there's a very good uh, item this week with Fransky in L.A. and a, and a yeah. better situation. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It was fun to write. Todd, can you I, and I will we'll, we'll hook. Can I sneak in one last question, Glenn? Yeah, it's sure, of sure. great importance. Todd Zalecki, will yes. there be a more than 10% increase in stolen bases this year? I think there will be. I, oh. I, 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 I think I talked – well, let me put it this way. JT Riamuta, I was talking to him the other day about these rule changes, and he, he was like, 
the amount of increased stolen base attempts last year in the minor leagues with some of these new rules were off the charts. He's like, this might get a little crazy early on this season. Yeah. Well, Jody and I are going to talk about those coming up. But bottom line, do you like most of the rule changes or no? What's your opinion? I do like most of the rule changes. I especially like the pitch timer. I like the idea. Of I'm sure you do. Up. Oh my <laughs> As god! As a guy who writes on deadline. <laughs> yes, I do. Just, hey, if you can get me, if you can have me leaving the ballpark at 11:30 instead of 1:30, right. I love it. I love uh, it. <laughs> your motives there are clear, Todd. It's always yes. a pleasure, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I uh, thanks to your Todd. family. There you go. Yeah, I like the the, the pitch clock because I got to write after games. That's like you insisting that we like the tush push because of selfish motives. Understood. And Todd can also lay it off. Oh, I just want to get the fans home earlier. Yeah, BS. You want to get yourself home earlier. I didn't even hide that. But I, I, I actually think the pitch clock is going to be good, and I think it becomes a non-factor by midseason. We're going to, I, next segment, we're going to talk about all those rules because I want to okay. know how you feel. Let me sneak in Mark from Montgomeryville. Uh, he's got a, one last Super Bowl thought. What do you got, Mark? So all week I've been trying to figure out how I feel about this game. And honestly, the thing I keep coming back to is I'm just heartbroken for Jalen Hurts because he quieted so many doubters this year, and he did it in such spectacular fashion. And the team let him down. I know he had the fumble, but, boy, I mean, he just did everything he could to overcome it. And I feel heartsick for the guy. Would have been the MVP. Yeah, and everybody would have just celebrated him and – I just I feel terrible because you, yeah. one thing you realize after a season like this, and I had the same thing with the Phillies, is what a grind it is to get all the way there. It just, is, just it, and that's and that's and thanks for the call, man. Good stuff. And it, it I first of all, he would have been the MVP, and that could have raised him to a whole nother level nationally. Not that I think he cares about that; he doesn't seem to. But his last point, Jody, and we've seen it. You know, they got there. It was so hard. You get there, and you think, oh, they could go back next year. But the odds are against him going back next year. On an individual basis for Hertz, he don't feel that bad. Uh, he was the best player in the field. He knows it. Uh, the world knows it who watched the game except for obnoxious Kansas City Chief fans who may think, well, we won, so of course Patrick Mahomes had to be better. No, he wasn't. Jalen Hurts was the best quarterback on the field. Um, he's 24, so, yes, his career is going to go on. And, oh, by the way, the Eagles are going to negotiate a new contract with him that's going to be in excess of $200 million. So if you lost sleep for Jalen Hurts, well, that I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, he's not going to have to cut down on uh, on, on groceries, that's for sure. <laughs> 215-592-9494. I do want to discuss those baseball rules with you because I think the game's going to be dramatically different. We'll see what you think. We'll talk to the people. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. It is a Sunday on 94 WIP, 215-592-9494. I got to tell you, Jody, talking to Todd Zalecki, I am ex- may, I hopefully not excessively optimistic about this Philly season. I know the Braves are still going to be really good. Uh, they finished ahead of the Phillies in the, the division last year. I know the Mets, who were good, spent a lot of money to get better this offseason. I certainly am not going to tell you that the Phillies are shoe in for anything, but I think a club that did find its way into the World Series last year is better, and I am can't wait to get down to that ballpark. And I don't hear Jody. Okay, we lost Jody for a second. We're going to get him back. <laughs> 
So I'll ask you the callers if you agree. I with am that. back. Sorry about go. that, Mac okay. man. That's okay. Did you hear what I just said? I did not. Okay, so here's what I just said. Um, I know that the Braves are still going to be really good, and they finished ahead of the Phillies last year, and the Mets spent a lot of money to improve, and that's a very they got a lot of talent there. Um, but I am really excited and can't wait to get down to the ballpark and am extremely optimistic about this team and how good it's going to be this year. Agree on all fronts. The Mets and Braves are still really good, and yeah. we're going to get for all of the teams in the National League because one of those rule changes is a balanced schedule. So they're going to be playing less games against the Braves and the Mets. Now, I'm a fan of rivalries, and I'm a fan of beating the best to be the best. So it doesn't necessarily play for me. But if you're just looking as to what's best for the Philadelphia Phillies, oh, I think this year a balanced schedule helps them because it's less game against the Mets and the Braves. That's very true. Of course, it helps the Mets and the Braves too, right? So it helps all of them. Correct. But, but so some of them presumably will again go back as wild cards, and it certainly helps them in that regard. Let's talk about the rules. I want to see what you like, what you don't, if any. Uh, and let's start with the one that should have the biggest impact, which is the shift. The rule now is at a time whenever a pitch is thrown, all four infielders need to be on the dirt within two – I'm sorry, with two on each side of second base, right? The, the shortstop can't go cheat and play short right field. As soon as the ball is pitched, they can move. I love it. I hated the shift. I know that people say, well, it's just it's defense. It's helping you win. But to me, the shift was um, just, just took so much away from left-hand hitters. What do, what do you think? It's much more left-hand hitters than right-handed hitters. You're right about that. And if you're looking at it through those Philly-colored glasses, oh, I think Kyle Schwarber's uh, batting average is going up by at least 30 points, if not more than that. They've got a couple of guys on this team that are dead pole hitters that will benefit from it. I think of all the rule changes, this will have the most dramatic impact on the game this year. Yep. You like it? Yep. Okay. There you go. We may agree on all this. Um Pitch clock, pitchers have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty, 20 seconds with a runner on first. Batters need to be in the batter's box with eight seconds on the pitch clock. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion early in the season with this. They said they're going to start enforcing it with the very first of the um, spring training games, which is good because I think yep. there's going to be a ton of times. Where it's like, well, what do you mean? I just stepped out. And, and it will take adjustment, but – the problem with baseball, when, when people say, well, the speed of the game is a problem, and, and having a pitcher stand there for 30 seconds or a guy step out of the box to adjust every pan on his body, nobody needs to see that. In or out? Very much in. A uh, couple of uh, nuances to it. Number one, you know who this is going to be terrible for? The umpires. Because they're going to actually have to call balls. They're yeah. going to have to signal to the score, put a ball on the scoreboard. They're going to call this early on. We get it more in uh, football than we do in baseball with the whole rule adjustment, points of emphasis, and they go through it in spring training, and they call it all the time. And then over the season, it starts to wear down a little bit. They're not as drastic calling it, oh, they're going to stick with this one. These are hard and fast rules. There's going to be a clock there. There's not going to be any debate about it, but there will be booing, guaranteed. That when the home team uh, gets called for it, you're going to hear the rumblings and the grumblings from the crowd. and It's going to be directed at the umpire. But they're just going to be doing their job. 
I, I hope, maybe this is just the optimistic baseball fan in me, Glenn, that the players will adjust, that they'll get used to this, that they'll realize, all right, I can't do what I have to do. I have to make my own adjustment, and that by the middle of the season, maybe two-thirds of the way in, it'll become a non-factor, that everyone will just have incorporated it, it into yeah. their game, that they'll get it, and then it won't be a big factor. But I do believe it will speed up the game and make Todd Zalecki and Glenn Macnow and Jody McDonald and everyone else who watches <laughs> games or goes to games life easier because the game is going to be played yeah, at a yeah, faster In the parking pace. lot 20 minutes earlier. I'm Correct. That. Yes. Okay. The, I think the most controversial one is this one. Pickoffs. Um, what, they are, what they are calling disengagement which is anytime the pitcher makes a pickoff attempt or fakes a pickoff attempt or just steps off the rubber for any reason, um, as well as when the defense requests time, you're only allowed to do it two per plate appearance by a batter after that. I guess after that it's a ball if you're only allowed to do two. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, no, after that on the third one, the pitcher will be charged with a balk. Excuse me, not a ball, a balk. Um I have mixed feelings about that. I don't know. I'm I'm reserving judgment on whether that's going to work. What do you think? I I think it could play a pretty big role, and much like with the pitch clock, there's going to be a period of adjustment that the guys will figure it out after a while. They may pay a price for it early because their usual reaction is so ingrained in them, they're going to have to work to get used to the change in the rules. But, again, I think it's a good thing if it's implemented correctly. I, I'm not sure how big a deal it's going to play because there aren't that many pitchers, Mac, that you would say the Phillies are going to come north with 13 pitchers. How many of those pitchers would you say are good at holding runners because they effectively use the toss over? Maybe one out of 13? Yeah, I don't know. I don't so know. we're looking at one out of 13 guys on 30 majors, so it's going to have a major effect on – 30 pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, when you think about it, it sounds like a big deal. But in practicality, I don't really know how big a deal it's going to be. I think it may be a big deal for, like, the top 25 or so base stealers in baseball because once that second pick attempt is made, they can take a huge lead, right? If you're And, by the way, Trey Turner is a guy who steals bases. You're Trey Turner. You're on first base. You take your lead. Pitcher throws over. Okay? Take your lead. Pitcher throws over. All right? Now he can't throw over. Now you can go halfway to second base. Yeah, but the pitcher can – if you're off there, there's going to be some subjectivity to the umpire. If you're far enough off the base, what's he supposed to do? Just let you walk down to second? If no, you can turn and throw. My understanding is if you turn and throw and do, if you pick him off, you get it. But if you don't pick him off, it's a balk. Right. And pitchers will be very reluctant. I mean, yeah, he's not – when I say walk to single base, I'm exaggerating. But he's going to add a few feet to that leadoff, which will lead to more steals, which takes us to the last rule change, which is the bases are bigger, 15 to 18 inches, which means they'll be closer together. Now, they're keeping – they're making sure that first base, third base are still 90 inches from home plate. But the bases are a little bit closer together, and they're hoping – that, one, it reduces injuries when guys run to first base and step on each other's feet, but, but also could increase stolen bases. Again, I love baseball like you. I'm a lifer. I mean, you listen, your dad worked in baseball. You're even more of a lifer. But 
what baseball has suffered with in the last few years is it has moved analytics has moved it to home run strikeout walk home run strikeout walk strikeout strikeout what this is trying to do is bring running back into the game fielding back into the game uh and i'm in favor of all of that i uh, i too love the stolen base i don't need the everybody trying for a home run every other pitch in major league baseball if it works you'll be talking to one happy baseball fan the increase in the size of the bases, I just don't think, is going to make that big a difference. We're we're talking about a couple of inches. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the least important, yeah. right? Um, but I I hope it works. I'll I'll gladly take you and did we decide is it going to be Dan Wilson? Is it going to be any one of the nine different producers we have on Sunday morning that I may have to take out to dinner with us if uh, there is more than a ten percent increase That's in right. stolen bases this year? It's Dan Dan Wilson. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dan yeah. Wilson is number one. We'll figure out who number two. Is. That's right. We made the stupid baseball bet. Yeah. yeah. That's why I asked the Licky the question last yeah. uh, segment, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he yeah, agreed yeah. with you. It's going to be more than ten percent yeah. increase. Oh yeah. Oh, baby, dinner. Yeah, not, still, still, still confident in my side <laughs> of the wager. All right, let's. I uh, got a call in here, Gus in Bethlehem. We're going to go back to the tush push. Gus, yeah, get her out. I'm going to, re- I'm going to relate it to a famous uh, moment in the history of the Eagles. Veteran Stadium, Dallas Cowboys goal line stand. The place is shaking. You, you uh, the tush push makes that lemon nun happening going forward. Uh, this is going to spread like a disease. Other teams will finally start doing it, even if they bring in another quarterback to do it. And it, it eliminates, you know, really exciting tension between offense and defense uh, take, making, a, making a stand. You're saying it's too successful and therefore it's takes too that successful. drama. Just like your uh, argument against the, the shift. It's, but, it's too, it's too but, successful. But, well, the shift dramatically changed the whole nature of baseball. Well, the, it always this, is this has not. But let me ask you a question. Normally, with anything that happens, there is the action and then there is the reaction, right? So teams figure out. Like, remember, it was the Wildcat offense was mm-hmm. all the fad a couple of years right. ago. Then teams figured out how to defend it, and so, therefore, you only see it now on occasion, and some teams will do it. And it's that way in all sports, right? Right. Well, you would think if this thing catches on, or even this offseason – Teams will figure out, all right, the Eagles do this. Here's how we can defend it. So right, to me, I'd, the, rather than outlaw it, figure out how to stop it. Here's the real reason I think it should be nipped in the bud. It makes the officials look bad. You know, the minute they think the play is stopped and they're reaching for their whistle, they see some more movement. Because as long as somebody's pushing you from behind, there's always going to be a little bit of movement. And that movement is, go- is only going to – come to a halt when they've actually successfully uh, made their made their uh, that's, play. That, that's fine. You're with Jody on it. I am not. I hear the argument, and I, and I stand accused of liking it only because of my favoritism to the Eagles, but I still think it's a cool play. And I will add to uh, Gus's point, it's a really tough play to referee. Because there is such a mass of bodies in the middle. How do you really know when forward momentum is stopped? So they have to make a general guesstimate on it. So I think Gus is right. They they fall to the side of, well, I'm not going to blow my whistle too early. I'm going to give it a little bit more time. And oftentimes that ends up uh, getting is the difference between getting and not getting the first down. I, I think that will be part of the NFL's reasoning as to why they take it away. It's such a difficult play to actually call. Let's talk to Steve in Norristown. Steve, new baseball rules, good or bad? 
Hey, Mac, Mac, it's great to hear you guys. I I loved your show uh, uh, middays back in the day, but it's just great talking to you guys. Appreciate um, it. So I went to Reading a couple games last year, and they had all the new rules implemented. So I saw uh, an 11-7 to game, and I saw a 12-5 to game. That's two games that I went to. And mm-hmm. both of those games were not three hours. Wow. Sweet. Although we do know they take less time between innings in the minor leagues, but still. Oh, they're going to speed. Sweet. They're going to speed. What's that? I said nice. Sweet. I like yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I think these are – and I am a – I do consider myself a baseball purist, even though, you know, a lot of people are against all the new rules. Um, the pickoff one, I kind of agree with you guys. That one, you know, I, it, it was like the negotiations last year. You gotta, you want this, you gotta give something else up, if you will. Um, but I think that they, I think that they work really well. Um, it, I did see more, I did see some steals in there, uh, what Jody was talking about. So, uh, you should have some excitement with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the bills are going to be, um, I think they're going to be better. Uh, yeah, it's a kick in the pants that Harper is going to be out for the first half of the season. But, you know, they got a guy named Trey Turner who I think might be able to help out in those uh, clutch-hitting situations. You got it. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate that. It's going to be a good lineup, Joey. Mac, I don't know if you and I discussed this. Um, um, where do you think Trey Turner should bat in this Phillies lineup? Lito. Absolutely. And while I love Rob Thompson, and one of the things that I think was very successful for Rob last year was that he was open-minded. Um, he, he he came in with a fresh start after Girardi. He was open to everything. And then he got kind of locked in. He started off as a very open-minded, I'll try anything once. But as the season went on, he got into a couple of patterns that I said – all right, you know this has been going bad for a week or 10 days or two weeks, right? Would you think about just juggling something here? If that's if the old Rob Thompson is the, the new Rob Thompson this year, I hope he starts with Turner at uh, leadoff. Even though yeah. I was a defender of Schwarber all year at in the leadoff spot, not that you have an actual leadoff hitter. The biggest reason why I backed Schwarber for leadoff was I didn't think they had a leadoff hitter on the team. <laughs> well, what was the alternative, Derek? Exactly. Hall, right. Yeah. Now, now they have one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball. Who, oh by the way, can hit two, could hit three, could probably hit four if you asked him to do so. But he is one of the the, the best leadoff hitters in baseball. He's there. Keep him in that spot. Yeah, no doubt about it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four to Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now. At noon, we'll talk to Derek Bodner, get some NBA talk in, including the new sensation of the slam dunk, a new hero in the city. When's the parade for Mac McClung, Jody? <laughs> Grease well, the poles. When, when will he actually make a basket in the game for the 76ers? It's probably a better question. Uh, we'll ask him that. Um, Jody Mack and Glenn Mack now on 94 WFP. When you break up banking, most business people, they just roll their eyes. I, I can tell you. Meridian Bank customers, they don't feel that way. Now, sure, Meridian business bankers do the loan thing, and they offer guidance on making your business more successful. But also, Meridian puts some great customer events, both educational and social, and they are a super group of people to be around. If you want to put some fun in your business banking, get started 
at meridianbanker.com. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack. Now we're going to get uh, back to the phones in just a moment. But, Jody, I just want to take a moment. I, I spent some time on this yesterday, but I really want your reflection on it. Uh, you and I started at WIP a long, long time ago. You started before I did. I actually uh, got the pleasure of being foisted upon you as your partner in December 1993. Um, but before, before me, uh, and I don't know if before you, do you predate Angelo or did no, Angelo? No, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. So before you, Angelo Cataldi started in the morning initially with Tom Brookshire and then with the team that he put together with Al and Rhea and Conklin and others, Joe Wechter. Uh, and uh, you were doing middays, and then I was, joined you at middays. So we got to spend a lot of time around him. I talked a lot about Angelo this week, but I'd like your reflections on a guy who did 33 years of morning radio uh, preceding us in this town. Yeah, 1990, yours truly uh, took down a full-time spot here on WIP, and I believe Angelo started in 89, he and right. Brookie together. Um, so he was, he was probably at least uh, eight months, ten months, whatever. It might have been a year and change that uh, he and Brookie did the show together. And, yes, that was the WIP morning show when I came to the station. It was Angelo and uh, Tom Brookshire together. Um it was funny. I listened yesterday, and I, I caught some of the stuff that you said with Mike Sielski, and you were reminiscent about what Angelo said. It's funny what you remember, mm-hmm. that you told me a story, I think on and off air, about you and Angelo and Sparta, New Jersey. Oh, my God, yes. I haven't told that story in a while. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. for some reason, that has always <laughs> that? stuck in my mind. That you saw the most beautiful woman you'd ever seen in your life in, of all places, Sparta, New Jersey, and you were sitting next to Angelo Cataldi at the time. Yeah, well, th- this is true. Uh, uh, the, the, the story is Angelo and I were went up. Actually, we drove to Connecticut together to interview um, Nick Bonaconti, who um, his son, remember the, the famous uh, football player, Hall of Famer, I think whose son had been paralyzed in a college game, and we were doing a story on Team Doctors, and he had had some issues with the Team Doctor. I think his son sued. And um, we're driving into Sparta, New Jersey, and, yeah, we're just, like, you know, at a, on a street. And, yes, it was, and I, and, uh, I do not believe uh, either of our wives will be offended by this, the singularly most stunning woman that, that I ever saw in my life and him and we both just, we were driving, I think we were at a red light, and we go, oh. And then I started up, and we went another block, and then I think he said, let's go back and look again. Because she was walking. Uh, I think she was, like, walking on a street or something. And we drove back, and we caught a glimpse of her as she walked into the store. And you just remember stupid stuff. And I and I asked Angelo about that a couple of years ago because this happened. We were both at the Inquirer, right? right. When we were writing. So this is in the late 80s before he came to WIP. So let's say this is 1988. This is 35 years ago. I asked him about this a couple of years ago. I said, Angelo, you remember when we saw that beautiful woman? He goes, Sparta, New Jersey. <laughs> like, yeah. You remember, too. Oh, yeah. It's, yes, it, it is forever etched in my mind. There's no doubt about it. And you're telling of the tale etched in mine. I don't Thank know why it's stuck, it but it's it a did. dumb story, but yes, it, that is true. So what what what's your reflection on on the guy who meant so much to the station and to the town? 
Um, one of the writers from Barrett Media reached out to me. I know he reached out to you. I read the thing online that uh, they talked to a bunch of guys who had the chance to work with Angelo over the years. And the two things I told them uh, that, that, that stick in my mind about Angelo are, number one, he is the best. And I've been doing radio for 35 years now. Uh, at different outlets, not just WIP. I've worked at other stations, locally, nationally, and the like. Angelo was the best at reading the room that I ever saw, that he knew exactly what the fans wanted to talk about, wanted to hear, wanted to debate. He had a better grasp on his audience than anyone I've ever worked with. They just mm-hmm. from, from the very beginning with... Al and Tony Bruno straight through the many different iterations of the WIP morning show over the last 30 plus years. He was the constant. He was a staple. Al was uh, the sidekick and the sidecar for the great majority of it. But it was Angelo who was driving it the whole time. And he had the ability to know exactly what buttons to push like no one I've ever seen at any other radio station that I've ever worked with. And the other thing that I always appreciated about Angelo, and and this is something that either you can read the room or you can't read the room, and I think I'm good at it, just not near as good as he is. But the one thing that I've continued to try and improve with myself over the years is he can be, despite being the kingmaker that he is, because if Angelo Cataldi says something, if Angelo Cataldi confirms something, if Angelo Cataldi has a certain emotion, he's going to be able to move a whole bunch of needles in the sports fan base in this town. He could also be self-deprecating, and he could poke fun at himself, and he could have some laughs at himself. And, oh, by the way, Al knows just how to stick the needle in and turn it oh, when, yeah. when Angelo does that. Oh, yeah. um, but usually a guy who is that who wields that kind of power that Angelo did – well, then ego is not going to allow him to uh, take, take, poke some shots at himself. That was never a problem for Angelo. It, it wasn't like he did it on a day-in, day-out basis. But when necessary, Angelo could poke some fun at himself, which made you as a listener feel like, all right, he's not taking himself that seriously. He's, he's a regular guy, too. And uh, that's something that I picked up on Angelo very early on when I got the WIP and said, all right, yeah, you got to be able to poke some fun at yourself every once in a while, big guy. I think that is a great point, and I also will say that when I uh, had the privilege of starting to work with you, it is the one of the things that I admired about you and learned from you is that you're really smart and you have expertise, but Jody McDonald was not above being the butt of the joke or making right. himself the butt of the joke, <laughs> and, and, I, and I admire that. Uh, anyway, yeah, Angelo was a, was, is a huge figure in this town and at this station i am looking forward to the future of wip and all the new shows and so on um but his his legacy is 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 etched in stone all right now you know him better than me because you were friends with him before uh, any of us ever got yeah to worked WIP. with him at the inquire a lot so you know him much better he gonna stay retired you, i don't think he's you, gonna your come boy back this. your yeah. boy um uh, Ray Dinger has failed miserably at yes. retirement. <laughs> Ray, Ray's, Ray's as bad at retirement as uh, what, Muhammad Ali. I don't know. Ray's terrible at retirement. Yeah, yes. un- understood. Uh, yeah. Will Ange, will he show up on WIP every once in a while, do some TV spots, or is Ange going to be like uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers and just go into darkness? And we're, <laughs> we're, we're not going to so know anything about 
what's Angela's happening home with his in dog Angelo in the dark room. Year. Don't know. You, you know Gail, better than me. me. I'm food. asking you. I think that he will not come back uh, to WIP. I think he will not. Um, no, because with him, it is so much work. And we know, listen, he gets into work at whatever, 3.30 and is breaking down stuff and so on. His job was so time-consuming and so all-consuming that I don't think so. Now, he may sit on his front porch and yell opinions at the kids who are passing by to go to school right? Uh, unsolicited because it is hard when you are the mouth and you have that microphone giving up is tough. But I talked to him about this. He plans to write a book, and he loves writing, and he's really good at it, and that's going to take a lot of time. So I think that he's got that going. And he's doing a podcast with Rhea and um, what's her TV guy, Jack Black or Joe Black? Uh, yes. I forget his first name. Jack Black. Jack, Say again? No, not Jack Black. Not Jay Black. Jack Black yeah, not Jack the Black. author. He's Jay right. Black. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's going to enjoy that. And maybe he'll do a little bit more. But I think I think he's going to be more able to go cold turkey than Rick. But we'll okay. see. Whatever contribution he makes going forward to WIP, I will make sure I am there for it and am interested in it. If it is none, enjoy retirement, Angela. All right. One of our favorites is with us now, Linda from Bala, our great, great friend. Linda, people all the time say to me, when do you hear from Linda? Linda, when is she calling? So it's baseball season. I figure you're going to be a regular now. I certainly will, and you don't know, but Jody does. Uh, the 21st, I go into Fox Chase. Prayers, please. You know I'm already praying, Linda. Um, I know you are, Jody. I didn't get a chance to call Glennie and ask him, but I'm asking you now. Oh. I'm like Pepe Le Pew with a little bunch of flowers in my hand and little hearts coming out of my T-shirt. I am so in love with this Phillies team. Uh, no, I'm serious. Glenn, no, no, I just love the, I love the comparison with Pepe Le Pew. I do. That's oh, great. I know. Little Pepe Le Pew, honest to God. I love him. Yeah. And I have a picture of him on my wall. He's so cute. Nice. But anyway, it uh, goes to show you my, my brain stance. I'm so happy my Phillies are going to start. I think we're going to kick butt. I like the rotation. Um, I'm really excited. Um, it's just going to be wonderful. And the, the funny thing is that between pitches thing, poor Bryce Harper will not be able to step out and fix his gloves and his scarf and his hat and draw crosses in the dirt. And yeah. It's hysterical. I think we'll, he will and we will all survive that, right? Oh, I think so. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like Trey Turner leading off. Um, and I don't – I picture these huge bases. That's going to be hysterical. Can you imagine? I hope they don't fall and hurt themselves, guys. No, I think, part of the, I think part of the thing is that they don't. Linda, I got to hit a break, but uh, it is it is always a pleasure. Do me a favor. Reach out to me off air over the next week, and I just want to find out what's going on with you. Okay, babe. I will love both of you. Uh, Bye. Thanks, Linda. Great. Always a pleasure. Yes, yeah, always a pleasure. She's going in for cancer treatments, Glenn. Okay. Uh, in a couple of weeks, but she's as tough as nails. She she talks a good soft game, but she is tough as nails. And we'll be talking baseball with Linda all year long. Yeah, and she's licked it before, so I feel good about her 
odds here. Uh, coming up, we're going to check in with our pal Derek Bonner, talk some Sixers, some NBA, uh, and the newest folk hero of the slam dunk world. Uh, Jordy McDonald, Glenn McDonald, take calls to 215-592-9494. Hey, if this uh, cold winter, well, it hasn't been a cold winter, but let's, let's, I'm going to say it honestly. If this mild winter has not yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, you know the next winter is going to be tougher. They're not all going to be this good. So go check out with the good people at Guided Door and Window because they are giving you one more month to get their best prices of the year. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of Guided's big winter sale, this is your last chance to do so and receive 40% off every window and door you buy. That's 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window, and that also includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Now, you buy now, you pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer's going to expire at the end of February. We're getting there. Don't let the final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. McClung is the first G League player ever to participate in the slam dunk competition. He was signed this week by the 76ers to a two-way contract. Congratulations, brother. Congratulations. I'm worried about the guy holding the other guy. Some boy, he'll go down. Oh, that's a 50. That's a 50. To see if he hit the backboard. That's a 50. Smile, Well, I got to see it in slow motion. I'm not refereeing the basketball. If he hit the glass, come on, there Kenny, that's crazy. He hit the glass. <laughs> but it was very clear. It was very that's clear that he saying. did. Well, there you go. That was last night in the NBA um, slam dunk contest. Six foot two kid comes up from G League, stacks two people on top of each other, uh, measures at seven foot nine, grabs the ball off the one guy's head, puts it in. Wins the whole thing, does a 540 spin. It was an amazing thing. And we are joined now by one of our favorite people. And, boy, it's been a while since we've had him as a guest, Derek Bodner. You can read him, uh, follow him on Twitter, Derek Bodner NBA. He is the puts together the Daily Six newsletter. And, Derek, first of all, nice to talk to you as always. Uh, and secondly, I guess my question is, Mac McClung, more than a two-day story here is, is he an NBA player or is he just a future trivia question? Probably a future trivia question. I mean, when you're talking about a player who is 24 and has, I think, four games of NBA experience, usually there is a reason he has not been <laughs> up here for very often. Uh, I will yeah. say he's he's become a better shooter over the last two years. He's worked on his, his point guard skills in the G League a little bit, but I would say odds are probably a two-day uh, two story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jody, it's all yours. Oh, I think we lost Jody again. All right. Well, we, we try to get Jody out. Uh, Jody back. I'll ask you a couple more things. Um, the last I heard is that Joel Embiid playing in the All-Star game tonight was uh, maybe. Uh, he's been noncommittal about it. He's got the left foot soreness. I know he didn't go to the practice yesterday. Do you know if he intends to play tonight? I don't know if he intends to play tonight. I do think this is something where – you know, I think at times you can hear players coming down with injuries like a day before the, the All-Star game and think they just don't want to play. He, this is something he's been dealing with. He injured it initially back in mid-November uh, against the Timberwolves. He's missed games here and there because of the foot. He has certainly complained about it. He's been on the injury report. It does seem like something where a little bit of time off might help. Now, 
is playing in the All Star game really all that much stress? No, there's me? not a whole lot of effort being put into this. But I think it would probably do do him some well to, to have some rest. And you know, I think he is certainly seriously considering it. I don't think he brought it up for no reason. All right, all right Derek. Derek, let me uh, ask this: You're not going to attempt to sell to me that this was a coincidence that the Sixers moved him from purely on the blue coats up to a two-way contract because it was anything more than they wanted to use him in the slam dunk contest, are you? Was was this in the offing? Had you been hearing whispers that the Sixers might actually elevate him to potential participation? Or was this tied into, hey, he could be really good in the All-Star game. And, oh, by the way, nice call, NBA, because he was phenomenal. This was not a coincidence, was it? No. I mean, look, had you heard anything about him signing a two-way? No, you hadn't. Um, Do I think this makes it a much better story? Now that he is a little more officially part of the NBA club, yeah, it probably does. Maybe they were slightly concerned because if you're under under a G League contract like he was prior to a week ago, that someone might see him in this game and sign him to a two-way contract themselves, so you might lose him if he gets this kind of exposure. Maybe. I think that could be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it, you know, do I expect him to all of a sudden become a regular part of the Sixers rotation? No, probably not. All right, Derek, right now the Sixers are in third in the East. They're three games behind Boston, 25 games left. You wrote the other day how to drive everyone crazy while winning 13 out of 16, the Philadelphia 76ers story. What does that mean? Uh, I mean, you come away, and they're, they've won, they, all they do is win. And even if you look at it, you know, I think they are like 30-2 and two when they enter the fourth quarter with a the lead. They're 25-3. and three when they go to halftime with the lead, they actually very rarely blow these leads completely. They just tend to make it way more interesting than you expect. And this is certainly a league in the NBA because it's paid, played at such a high pace because there's so many, much three-point shooting where you know these long extended runs happen more frequently, leads are blown more frequently. Um, but I think where the Sixers differ is that when they struggle, it's in large part because the effort stats they get killed in. You know, I looked it up recently, and, and, and they are 19-1 in games where they win the rebounding battle. Uh, that is the best record in the league. There's only one other team that has fewer than five losses in those games. Uh, so to be 19-1, like, if they, they have enough talent where if they just win the hustle stats, they are almost a lock to beat anyone in the league. And I think they, you know, you come away and you go, well, they're winning a lot of games, but it's, it kind of frustrates me more often than it should. I think it's because they they just they, they fall asleep for long stretches. They just generally have enough talent that they can screw around for a good portion of the game and still come away with a win, and I think that leaves a lot of people frustrated. Along those lines, doesn't, uh, as per the numbers you just put out there, and they're pretty daunting, doesn't that say really good things about Doc Rivers, that he doesn't allow them to blow games to when push comes to shove, the 48th minute of the game, that they don't make those mistakes, they don't cough up those leads if – they're winning at those type of percentages you just put out. Shouldn't the coach be getting a lot of credit for that? Yeah, he certainly gets some. Um, and, you know, they're 7-3 and three in games decided by three points or less. They're, I think, 3-1 and one in overtime. So there's some even more statistics to, uh, to support that. But, you know, some of it, like Doc Rivers, after that Wednesday win over Cleveland, he was asked, you know, what was the key to holding on to that win? And he said, well, the clock ran out. It really sounded like if that was a 49- or a 50-minute game instead of a 48-minute game, I'm not sure we're having quite the same conversation. So yeah, I think it. I think he gets some credit for that. Uh, I think the team gets some credit for realizing they have to get their stuff together and not blowing it completely. 
You would like to see maybe a little more attention to detail there in the second half, so it doesn't even get to that point, and we're talking about a 10- to 15-point win instead of a game that could have been a one-possession game there down the stretch. Um, but, yeah, certainly he gets some credit for that. All right, Derek, I want to celebrate a moment that occurred the other day, and let's uh, kick it off with a highlight. Goes Embiid into the lane, lays it up and in, and there it is. 10,000 and counting in the Sixers' career of Joel Embiid. So Joel Embiid scored his 10,000 point in his 373rd career game. By the way, nice job. Uh, Kate Scott on the call, of course. Um, and it is the fewest games needed to reach that 10,000 points in the history of the Sixers. Allen Iverson held that record. It's a pretty damn great accomplishment. Derek, I want to ask you, on, on how do we judge Joel Embiid and his career so far? Um, on what basis do we look at it? And I know it's a leading question, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious for your answer. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's one of the all-time great Sixers, for sure. An incredible story, considering he missed two full years of basketball. A lot of people questioned whether he would ever play. Uh, certainly didn't think that he was someone, or at least questioned because of the injury history, whether he was someone you could build around. I remember even coming out of Kansas, he wasn't all that refined of an offensive player. He thought he was an elite defensive player who could maybe grow into being a pretty good offensive player. for two years in a row last only big man or last time a center did that was Shaq. it's a remarkable development but it does feel a little bit like promise unfulfilled and look he's i don't remember he's 27 28 somewhere in that range he still has some basketball left and i actually think with the way he plays offensively now he can assuming he doesn't get the catastrophic injury which knock on wood he actually has avoided here since the foot fracture um, i think he could play into his early 30s pretty well i don't think we're at the end of it yet but when you look at it and never gotten out of the second round like it's hard to not focus on that perhaps more than we should and i think it maybe makes us not appreciate how much development he has had up to this point because there hasn't been that postseason success to follow um we can go through all of the reasons from the multiple gms to the running mate who came up small to all the overhaul and the coaching staff changes all that stuff and injuries um but he needs that that you know run to really cement his legacy because right now, there, it's, it's an incredible story, an incredible career, um, but there is certainly promise unfulfilled. All right. Since uh, Mac McClung is the newbie of this group, I need to ask you about some old hat 76ers who have been here a matter of days, weeks at most, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, and that would be Dwayne Desmond coming back as the potential backup center, how he's going to fill that role, will be okay with the role that he has, Doc Rivers' plan for him. And also ja uh, Jade McDaniels, who they picked up in the trade for uh, Matisse Thibel, um, looked good in the first couple of games that I've seen and might actually be a guy who can contribute. How much have the Sixers helped themselves since the trade deadline? Yeah, I certainly think with McDaniels, you're getting somebody who is going to help you. Is it going to change the complexion of the team? No, but like he is 90% of Matisse Thibel on defense, but in a package where you can actually play him offensively in the playoffs you know i think he has just enough of a perimeter shot not a good perimeter shot but just enough and has just enough that he can create off the dribble off a closeout where you the other team doesn't they can't forget about him when they're defending joel b uh, so i think that's going to help and, and certainly that length on defense i think if you can keep him on the floor for 20 minutes per game i think he's going to help some of the because some of the sixers real problems right now are on the defense defensive side of the court um, Deadman, I think, is mostly probably cooked at this point in his career. 
Uh, you know, he will hit the defensive glass, and that's something the Sixers need at times. He will protect the rim. He will come at the expense of, you know, defending outside of the paint or defending the pick and roll. His decision-making isn't great, but he will alter shots at the rim. Uh, but I think for the most part, you know, a few years ago when he was playing with Atlanta, he was shooting 37, 38, 39% from three and was a little more mobile. I think he was a valuable player back then. I think right now he's pretty limited offensively and doesn't move as well defensively as he used to. Um, so I think he's rel- relatively limited in what he can give you. I think if Doc Rivers uses him correctly, like I think there are certainly uh, some matchups, like against the Bucks, where you need that size. My concern is sort of similar to what it was with DeAndre Jordan last year, where Doc might not look at him as a piece of the center, backup center rotation, but as a solution to the backup center problem. And I don't think he's good enough or versatile enough to be that. Um, but, I mean, he's better than the empty roster spot that was occupying it before, so I guess it's a, it's an okay move. All right, Derek, I'm not proud of what I'm about to ask you. I'll admit that. It's a little schadenfreude here. But I saw you repost the other day. Uh, ben Simmons played 13 minutes the other night for, for uh, the Nets. Second lowest minutes of the season, and Coach Jacques Vaughn uh, gave a long answer when asked about the challenges of playing Simmons, said it's, it's a work in progress. Um, is he shot? Is he, is he the Carson Wentz of the NBA? Is he a lost cause? And, and I will tell you that I, I, I wouldn't mind if the answer is yes. <laughs> um, certainly he's not shot in terms of physically. Like he still has – he can still defend at a high level. I think the injuries have taken a little bit of a toll, but I think physically he's still an NBA player for sure. So much of his game and his deficiencies come down to confidence and fear of failure, and it certainly seems like that Atlanta series, and not just that Atlanta series, because he had been shooting, I think, 50% from the free throw line in the like three or so months leading up to that Atlanta series. But whatever happened to lead up to that point, I don't think he's ever recovered from, and I don't know exactly how deep, that what we can call it, you know, confidence, anxiety, fear of failure. I'm not sure what exactly it is, but uh, he has never come back from that. He hasn't really shown signs that he is. And at this point, they're playing four on five on offense so many times. And it's one thing like, yeah, he always had his deficiencies here in, in, in Philly, but he was at least aggressive enough where he could score 16, 17, 18 points per game. He doesn't attack the rim like that at all anymore. And a lot of that comes down to just confidence at the free throw line. It's become, you know, sort of this thing he can't get past. And it really is like Philly is a place where point guards, jumpers go to die. It's amazing that James Harden hasn't forgotten how to shoot, given <laughs> our track record here. Yeah, he's doing but, well. No, I don't. I don't necessarily expect him to turn it around anytime soon. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a shame. Last one for me, uh, DB. Ed, uh, apparently, um, Love just signed with Miami. He was another one of those buyout guys. Cavs parted ways with him. I know he's not the player that he was, and LeBron thought he was going to be the answer, and they did win a championship, so i got to give him at least that much credit. Kevin Love is a shadow of his former all-star level self, but the guy can still flat-out board, and that is one of the issues that I have with the 76 team. They check a lot of the boxes for being able to make the playoffs and then compete at the highest level when they get there, but rebounding is still an issue with this team. They miss out on not getting Kevin Love? Yeah, he probably could have helped. Um, you know, his three-point shot has not been what it used to be, and I think that was a big part of his value. He can certainly still rebound. An outlet pass every now and then to get them out in transition would be great. Uh, I think he could have, again, contributed. If you're asking me would they have been better off with him over Dwayne Dedman, yeah, probably. And I think Kevin Love's probably mostly cooked, whereas Dwayne Dedman might be completely cooked. 
Uh, and I think Kevin Love has a higher skill level. He can more credibly spread the floor, even with his recent struggles here of late. Uh, he can rebound as good or better than Dwayne Dedman. And that outlet passing, I think, would be real valuable. Um, I, he might be almost unplayable defensively, uh, especially like he used to be able to get away with putting him as a small ball center. I'm not sure he has the foot speed to defend pick and rolls in space anymore um, where you can even really keep him on the court, which is probably why Cleveland has, has moved on from him. It's probably a marginal loss, but, you know, would I feel more comfortable with him than Nedvin? Probably. probably. All right, Derek Bodner. The grind begins for this team, 25 day, games and 44 game. I'm sorry, let's try it again. 25 <laughs> games and 44 days, uh, and you should read all about it at Derek Bodner NBA. And, Derek, how do people get the newsletter? Uh, it's at daily6.com or just follow me on Twitter. There you go. It's Always easy. a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right, Thanks, be well. All right, let's uh, sneak in John from Easton before the break. He has been hanging for a while. John, what do you think? Hi, Jody and Glenn. Pleasure to speak with you both. Thank hey, you. How are you? Great show. Um, Jody, uh, I think that tush-push play should stay, in my opinion, and, and, and here's why. Uh, what's the difference between that and the – play where the running back plows into the line for little or no gain that ends up being an, an eight or 10 yard gain because of the push of all the interior linemen. Mm, interior linemen after they've gone past them. No. Well, you know, you, after he's you, gone past them, I'm trying to uh, well, picture you, in my you mind know, the you know player play describing w- where the running back hits the line. And the next thing you know, there's this, Massive push, and there's probably 20 guys, a blob. It's pretty much a rugby play. Right. Well, you don't know that they're not going to do away with that, too. Well, uh, that was going to be my next question to you. I mean, if you do away with, with the tush push, then you pretty much have to do away with that one, too, I would right. think. I, th- there's a possibility that, and we, we're speculating on all of this, that uh, the, the illegal nature of it is going to ju- to be judged that you can't push a running back in the back. You can't push a quarterback in the back. You can't push anyone with the ball in their hands in the back. You can't, as an offensive teammate, push them forward. There's a good chance that that's the way they're going to rewrite the rule. Yeah. It's funny. All the things we've talked about today, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about the Phillies a lot. and very excited. Talked about the rule changes in baseball, and you and I generally agree they're pretty good. We talked about kind of – you know, getting the Super Bowl loss out of our system or how we will remember it and a little bit about the Eagles going forward. We just had a, a nice long interview with Derek Bodner, uh, talk about the Sixers and looked a little flyers. I'm going to do some flyers in the next segment. Jody, I would not have predicted that the issue that would have carried today for the phones on us today would be the beautifully named Tush Push. The reason why? Because A, it's the Eagles. B, it's really good and effective for the Eagles, and Eagle fans don't want to see this go by the boards because they dangerous. know, yes. It, it, yes, there's a good chance a very successful play for the Philadelphia Eagles will be rendered uh, useless going forward if they change the rule. Yeah, let the record reflect I still protest. All right. Uh, coming up, we actually will do a little flyers. I want to play some John Tortorella versus the media from the other night and tell you that I usually side with the media, not this time. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll take your calls, too. Lines have cleared out. It's a good time for you to get in on any of the things that we mentioned. 215-592-9494. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Uh, 215-592-9494. So, Jody, we talked a little bit earlier about Tortorella, and um, you were very skeptical when he became the coach. I thought it was a good short-term move that he's not going to be here. The next team, the team is really a contender, but I wanted somebody to come in and kick butt, and he's kind of got that. Um, and as you know, and I guess you know this from firsthand experience, he's he's had his uh, – shall we say, exchanges with the media? Or weren't you once, didn't you tell me you were once kind of the target of one of those? No, I was uh, actually had a friendly experience with John Tortorella. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, if I need to retell the story, I'll do it quickly. Oh, you um, were, yeah, go ahead. That's right. Yeah, I was working in New York, and the radio station I was working for was basically in the building in front of Madison Square Garden. When you walk out of the garden, uh, there's a building between that and 8th Avenue or 7th Avenue. Um, and then you go downstairs to the subway, the train, or whatever else. Uh, so I was outside one day just having a cigarette, and here's John Tortorella with a very tough-looking leather jacket on, and he's just standing there having a cigarette. And I didn't say anything to him. He didn't say anything to me. He came out just to get a, a couple of minutes outside the building. I did the same. So we just stood there and smoked our cigarettes. Oh, okay. And right. the last thing before uh, I went back inside, I finished first, was I said, good luck with the upcoming season, coach. And it was the, like September or something like that. So the season hadn't gotten underway. They were just about to start the season. And he said, thanks, Jody Mack. I, I didn't even know if he recognized me, but he go. did. Well, and nice. I think he appreciated the fact that I let him smoke in yeah. silence, and he let me smoke in silence. Oh, coach, let me let me break. Let me ask you some Ranger questions. Yeah. No, I just let him yeah, have your a cigarette. power play this year. What are you yeah, doing no, 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 I wasn't doing that. <laughs> so uh, that's the only real exchange I've ever had with John Tortorella. Couple of media scrums afterwards, but the only really face-to-face one I ever had. So I like the guy. I think he's a really good coach. I do too. I just thought he was a bad fit for this team, where they were at, fit. the talent they had or didn't have. I, I, I just thought it was a bad match at the time. Okay, I get you. I think that there's no great match at the time, so why not? That and I want to play true. you. <laughs> this is about a minute. Sad and a half. but true. Yeah, this is when they lost. Uh, not last night, but this was the previous loss where they got blown out by the Kraken uh, after losing at home to the Kraken. Uh, I guess a week ago today. And he's got to come out. This is on the road, so there's not a lot of media, Philadelphia media there. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not even going to identify people by name, but I'm just going to let you hear the questions and his answers. So here we go. Feel this one compared to your last performance against the Kraken? You have the answer to that. Last game you mentioned. Can you go on? Yeah. You mentioned exhaustion, structure, some of the reasons that. You guys, you don't need me for the stories tonight. Well, I guess. No, not really, because we don't know, I guess, what you were saying in the room, what the plan was. Well, I'm not going to. It doesn't do me any good to tell you what's going on in the room right now. Why wouldn't it do us any good? Because that stuff that we have to figure out in the room belongs in the room. So you're going to have to kind of go with it yourself here as far as. Is what you want. It's pretty self-explanatory what you saw out there, so you really don't need my comments. So I guess what would you tell the fans? That I'm not too concerned about the fans right now. 
I'm con concerned about the hockey team. But in terms of a loss like this, I mean, how jarring is it given uh, coming that's into enough. tonight, even that's in your losses, good. the that, games that, have that, been? Uh, Dan, that, that, that kind of gives the point of it. Um, first of all, I want to know who was giggling. He turns around and he says, are you giggling? I don't know. It wasn't the reporter asking the questions. Now, you know, he's, he's required to talk to the media after the game. He once got a $25,000 fine after a 2020 news conference where he just left real quickly. It's the Marshawn Lynch thing, right? He's got to be there. I have no problem with his answers, and in part I have no problem with his answers because the questions aren't going anywhere. They are wasting his time. Like, what would you say to the fans? Well, what do you want them to say? That we stink? You know, what are you telling the room? He, the questions are not, hey, um, and we talked about this. You know, you sat Kevin Hayes down for 10 minutes during this game. The questions don't sound like the person asking the questions actually watched the game, Jody. So – I know that Tortorella gets a lot of heat and brushback, blowback for these news conferences. I don't blame him at all. Here's the reason why I think the question about the fans was very legitimate, Glenn. They put him up front and center. And when I say they, I mean the organization. For the ticket renewal letter that they sent out two weeks ago, 17 days ago, somewhere thereabouts, yeah. it came from John Tortorella about the direction of the organization. Not from the owner, not from the general manager slash president, whatever his title is, not for any of the other organizational guys who are still hanging in and flexing their muscles, as per the article that our buddy Anthony Sanfilippo wrote about two weeks ago, that it's still the same old flyers behind the curtain that we're not really seeing. No, they didn't attach anybody else's name to it other than Tortorella. So when they put him in that position, he had to know you are the conduit to the fans right now. And he might not have liked it, but he accepted it when they had him uh, put his name on the letter that said, all right, we are kind of rebuilding, and we've got to admit to it now. So I think it's a legit question by a media member who goes, what do you tell the fans? You're, you're now the conduit to the fans, coach. Well, I mean, you, we stink. There's no answer to that. It's, it's, it's in the light of the post game, right? It's not, it's not an end-of-the-year kind of reflective, like let's look at your team and what, you know, with the big picture. It's just they got blown out. They And by the way, they got one shot on goal in the first period. And to me, if the question had said, address that, address actual issues in the game as opposed to like, because, Jody, you and I, we've been to news conferences a thousand times, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen people who know how to ask questions and watch games. And we've seen people who's like, and I'll make fun of myself. And I did this, and I hope people realize I did this sarcastically once in a showdown with uh, Jim Fergosi. <laughs> I know where you When I asked Fergosi two very specific questions and he wouldn't answer it, and he said, why don't you ask me about the team? And I said, okay, so how's the team? Right. And that one will live with me forever, and I think most people know it was, it was a goof. But that's almost the questions he's asking. He's getting there. So how's the team? So, uh, so what do you think? So, uh, anyway. I'm just – I know that Tortorella got um, a lot of blowback on social media for this news conference, and I watched it and thought, I don't blame him at all. And by the way, you mentioned Anthony. Nobody covers the team better than Anthony. Right, and that's why I specifically t took the stance of, yeah, Coach, you did sign on for this. When, when the organization came to you and said, listen – we need to put something out there for our fans. Tickets are up. We need someone to be the face of the organization. We think you're the most logical slash best potential result guy. When they do that, he can't go into general Tortorella mode of, 
I don't feel like answering your questions tonight after a, uh, a god-awful loss when we played like uh, crap. Yeah, he, I hear He you. kind I... of accepted that responsibility, and then within a week to ten days after, he shirked that responsibility. I just have a general thing about the media covering the Flyers that that, that bothers me, that I, I think it's not up to par with the other media covering other franchises in this city and – Okay. Well, we talked about that. Uh, we got just a couple of minutes here. What uh, you got any plans today over the next couple of days? What's going on in the life of Jody McDonald? No, I got the uh, CBS Sports Radio show tonight, where we'll uh, continue to uh, take down the football season and NBA All Star Game. Oh, you know what? Let me ask you this. Yeah. Because uh, this caused some de- some de- debate on my show last night. Uh, do you know how the NBA All Star rosters are going to be put together for tonight's All Star Game? I got. So, if I understand it correctly, they're going to pick the reserves first and then the starters last? Correct. And part of the rationale is they don't want to have that playground moment where the last guy gets picked. Correct. Except, I'm not dumb. The last reserve picked, even if he's picked before the starter, is that guy. Correct. (laughs) Okay. So nobody's getting fooled here. Well, I think they actually are to the slightest of degrees that if you're not the actual last name picked, then the pain of it is lessened slightly. And it's just slightly. You're right. But if you can get slightly, why not grasp for slightly? I'm actually okay with this because I've seen some people, oh, my God, this is a travesty. How do you pick the starters, lad? That's ridiculous. Uh, It's soft by the NBA. No, it's as smart it's by the gimmick. NBA. I mean, it is a gimmick. I'm not going to be The fooled. whole thing's a gimmick when they started picking players well, and sure. reverting back to the schoolyard rather than just naming the starters on each team and having East and West. It's what it's all about. It's a gimmick to begin with. So why not take the gimmick to its nth degree? I got no problems whatsoever with it. I think it's actually pretty smart. Now they're going to start the game, and it's going to be well forgotten. But up until that point, when they actually have this draft tonight, and uh, again, I give the NBA credit because they're always trying to reinvent themselves, even if it's just in small ways so that it doesn't get stayed and stale. This is just another effort on their parts, and I'm totally fine with it. Um, you do the national show. I'm curious. You know, we, we have our impression of the Super Bowl here, and obviously we've all talked about it for the last eight days. When you discuss it with people on a national level and you're getting calls from people all over the country, what's the general two or three takeaways on the Super Bowl? Um, I get a uh, – uh, I'll get specific uh, Philadelphia calls that are the same here well, on yeah, WIP. That, uh, that I assume. CBS right. And uh, Kansas City fans that they are now a dynasty and Patrick Mahomes has absolutely replaced Tom Brady. So you get those expected. But if you're talking about someone who's not a fan of either of the two teams, yeah. the one thing that I've absolutely loved is the fact that the play field was a travesty. Yeah, and shame on the national That's football not just league. Us, huh? okay. No, not just us. That that made it less enjoyable to watch, and that uh, it's the biggest showcase you have. And they're playing on the worst field that they played on on any game all year long. Uh, yeah, and and I do believe now this is just bad luck and coincidence. I've gotten some Philadelphia fans who say it was designed that way by the NFL. 
because they knew ahead of time that it would have a more ill effect on the Eagles than oh, the Kansas yeah. City Chiefs. Oh, and they God. needed to lift the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes to be able to uh, take the mantle from uh, Tom Brady. And those, I, I just so. roll my uh, eyes and yeah, well. cut cut them off and move Fortunately, on. Fortunately, I haven't got one of those. Cars. You haven't? Oh, no. I've gotten a bunch. No, I've not gotten the – it's a conspiracy Both in Philly by the and NFL in New York. They wanted, they wanted the Chiefs to win. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't gotten any of those. Oh, yeah. The, the, the final the penalty call was because they needed to make sure Mahomes didn't get one up by Hertz. This had to be predetermined that the NFL needed its poster boy, and it was going to be Patrick Mahomes ahead of time. Oh, I've gotten those in both Philly and nationally. Wow. Yeah. Really? And from people oh, yeah. who aren't Eagle fans? Uh, you never know when they're on the other end of the phone. Okay. I, I assume they are Eagle All fans. Right. Yeah, well, uh, I, I will. Uh, I just want to break it to our audience, and I think most people know the league didn't really have any uh, part in who won the game and <laughs> lost the game. The refs may have blown a call, but they didn't do it under a directive or a bias to have Kansas City win. They just blew a call. Now, maybe they blew a call. Actually, I'll go. I'll disagree with myself to this extent. It is not impossible in my mind that the play is over. Patrick Mahomes points and all excitedly at the play and the referee kind of throws a flag because we've seen that before. And a big name player sometimes will have more influence. So that may be the case, but I don't think the referee sat around before the game and said, like, what are we going to do to help the Chiefs win? No. Um, Okay. You know what I'm doing today, Jody? I'm planning a couple episodes of what's brewing including two that you're going to come out and Yes, do. looking forward to it. Early March, you're going to come out, and we're going to drink beer and sit around and talk about it, and that's a TV show. That doesn't stink. I'm very much looking forward to it, Mac Man. You've had me on before when it was you and Joe Sixpack as just a guest. That was and the I podcast. Enjoyed... Yeah, now it's TV. you got to dress up. I enjoyed that. Great... I asked you already, a nice golf shirt and a yeah, uh, baseball fine. cap. You said yeah, that great. will be fine. Perfect. Uh, that's what I'm planning on wearing. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to doing it with you next month. All right, let's take a break here, come back, find out what we forgot to talk about. You can sneak in the call if you want at 215-592-9494. Jordan McDonald, Glenn McNow on 94 right in the palm of your hand with the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Slots, blackjack, roulette, table games, get them all with the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. It's the only casino and sportsbook app that I recommend. And, hey, for you new users out there, you can get up to $750 bonus back if you uh, and 500 free spins when you sign up right now. Bring the excitement of the casino everywhere that you go. Don't miss the limited time offer new users Play now and get up to $750 bonus plus 500 free spins. All your favorite casino games right there, ready when you are. It's right on your Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Jody McDonald, Glenn McNow, 94 WIP. Let's uh, get a call or two here before we go and talk to you, Donnie in Delaware. Hey, Don. Hey, Mac and Mac. How you guys been? We're good. Good. Um, look, I 1,000% agree with you. Well, like, the field is crap. I, but I, yeah, I, I 100% don't believe the NFL or the grounds guy did it on purpose to hurt the Eagles. And, and I feel that way because in September, I broke my fibula. When I first got back to work, I slipped on a driveway rock that shifted under me, mm-hmm. 
and it tweaked my ankle, put me down for the day. If you expect me to believe the ground screw guy who was a Chiefs fan made the field slick for the best quarterback in the NFL to potentially tweak a high ankle sprain, no, there, there's yeah. no way that's possible. Uh, that's a good point. There, there's, uh, listen, there, it was George Thomas' his name, right? The legendary right. guy. He's in his 90s now. He had a bad day and a bad week, and it was a bad setup. And I saw he was blaming the the halftime show and everything mm-hmm. other than himself. But I, I don't think he did it uh, thinking it's going to help Patrick Mahomes. No, well, at least give Thomas this much credit. He was smart. He didn't blame the halftime show per se because the field stunk in the first half too. No, it was the practice yes. for the halftime show that leading up to to make sure all that high-flying stuff worked and the equipment was in place and the like. So at least he did his CYA quite wisely, but it doesn't excuse the fact that your most important game all year long is played on a field that should never have been uh, the condition it was in. Yeah, and, and listen, n- none of this will change. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shout into the wind here, and it's going to be irrelevant. But the halftime show that runs 29 minutes long when a normal half of football is 15 minutes, and this is not the first time that the practice or the show itself has done some damage to the field. Of course, they will never change it because the halftime show is almost as big as the game. But somewhere, Ray Dinger is screaming at his TV. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm with him because it's, it's, I hate it. Uh, Justin in the Northeast finishes us off. Hey, Just. Hey, how you doing, guys? All right, my what friend. Say? Jody, how you doing, Barney? Long time no talk. Appreciate you getting in, big guy. Thanks. Yeah, um, I, I just was doing just a quick comment. Um, to talk about it, it, that it, like what the other guy talked about the seals. I'm not a big uh, conspiracy guy either. I don't really believe the fix was in, but it's just uh, I was just upset about it for the simple fact that I don't know the exact numbers on um, the Chiefs' stats for the total regular season, but. I think they were somewhere in between 35 and 45. No, 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 no. They were number two in the NFL. The Eagles were number one. The Chiefs were number two. How many sacks did they have, Joe? 55. So the difference between number one and two was 15. We had 20 more sacks than that. Well, 15 in the regular season. So what I'm saying is is that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the chances of them stacking up, was less than it us hurt. It hurt. It hurt both teams. I do think it hurt the Eagles more, but I can't. In the list of reasons the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, it's not in the top three or four. It's in the top five or six, but it's – what are you going to do? I can't continue to carp about it. But what we can do is find out what did we forget to talk about from Dan Wilson. All right, so I have a few things for you guys. Uh, one is just a different angle on the game that we didn't get to today. This is the Super Bowl I'm talking about. Where do you guys rank it? There's a lot of discussion this week. Is it the worst loss you've ever seen? Is it among them? Uh, certainly, I, you know, I'm much younger than you guys. I was born in the late 90s. I still think it's second to the 2011 uh, National League Division Series where the Phillies yeah. lost because they came in with more expectations, lost in the first round. And that was the end of an era, poetically, Howard going down. Do you have any thoughts on that? Where this uh, Well, the worst guys? loss I have as a sports fan of Philadelphia, the worst loss uh, for me personally was the 2002 uh, NFC title game at the vet, last game at the vet to Tampa Bay, where mm-hmm. the game starts with Brian Mitchell returning a kickoff 80 yards. Then Deuce Staley goes into the end zone untouched. The Eagles are going to win. Tampa's never won under 40 degrees. 
and they blow the game. That was that was the worst one for me, Jody. Uh, I'll go right along with you. Um, you've been doing the uh, Eagles post game show for how many years now? Pre game show for pre-game sixteen show. years. Yeah. Sixteen, yeah. And your predecessor was yours truly. So I did the pre game show outside the vet that day, <laughs> and I I sold the whole Tampa can't win in yeah. under forty degree. Look at these numbers. You can't tell me. And that's exactly what they did. So guilty as charged. I'm holding my hand up and saying I might have set Eagle fans' expectations a little bit high that day. I couldn't believe they lost that game. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, So one more Super Bowl thing. Obviously, it was a controversial call at the end with James Bradbury. I thought he did a good job of owning it immediately in the press conference uh, after the game, saying that was a hold. What did you guys think of the A.J. Brown response to Juju Smith-Schuster's tweet this week? Of he made like kind of a mockery of Valentine to James Bradbury saying, I'll hold you when it matters most. And then Brown calling him TikTok boy and that the tweet was lame. Good for uh, coming to his teammates' rescue. Not that he needed it, but uh, that's a good thing. And that's why the Eagles should still be good. They are a, a, a good group together that pulls together and, and plays for each other and defends each other. It was a stupid thing by Juju Smith-Schuster and the fact that A.J. Brown was as quick to respond as he did and as harsh as he was to respond as he did. I think you got to love it if you're an Eagle fan. Uh, I second all that. Next. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to get to, you know, we spent uh, some time, we talked to Todd Zalecki today uh, about, you know, the return of spring training in Major League Baseball. One thing that I don't think has gotten enough discussion uh, the World Baseball Classic is finally happening this year. It got postponed two years ago due to COVID. Some, you know, headlining Phillies, JT Romuto, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, uh, among them playing for Team USA. A, what is your guys' level of interest in this event? And B, if you're a baseball traditionalist, I'll say a lot of the new rule changes uh, will not be affecting this tournament. Yeah, which is too bad because I'd like to see them and I'd like to see players kind of dealing with them before the regular season starts. My level of interest is I haven't really paid any attention to it yet, probably because of the Super Bowl. But when baseball is on my TV and I see it on my TV, I'll I'll watch, you know, I'm in. Jode? Uh, again, uh, i got to say shame on Jody McDonald. Every single uh, – this is our fourth or fifth baseball, World Baseball Classic, and every time it comes around, I say, I'm going to get into it. This is going to be great. I'm going to be a flag-waving USA fan. And then I watch the games, and I enjoy it because they're preseason games, get you ready for the regular season, and both teams are going all out. There isn't guys throwing six consecutive curveballs because they're trying to work on their curveball. Each team is trying to win, so I do appreciate that aspect of it. But when the USA wins, I don't get all that jacked. If the USA gets upset, no. I don't get all that worried about it. No, I just way. watch so players. I, I always try and talk myself into getting into it more than I'm going to, and then I fail miserably, and I'll probably do the same again this year. It's not a flag waving event for me. For me, it's more interesting to see, like, oh, I didn't know this guy plays for Israel. Or this, wait, this guy's on uh, the, you know, the, the Romanian team? I don't think there is a Romanian team. But <laughs> you also see teammates go against each other who wouldn't. Yeah, it's, like yeah it's kind of. It's, it's, Adam it's, Jones, it's, Rob Manny Machado in yeah, 17. It was a cool tournament, put, I thought. They put baseball on my TV. I'll watch it. Anyway, Dan Wilson, nice job by you. Jody Mack, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening. Rob Ellis coming up next right here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.